show. Get this party on the road. I'm basking this right gold. Whoa, yeah. Celebrity guest from the East Coast to the West. Who knows who he has next? At Greg Carrasco, trending Twitter like a bomb. Tens of thousands on his lawn. He's even followed by your mom. What? Broadcasting live. Here is your warning. The topics are flowing every Saturday morning. Car talk like Sherlock. The guy knows wheels like a Dow stock. Movie talk on a boardwalk. Shoot facts like a tomahawk. So entertaining. Turn up the station. There's no more waiting. The show is beginning. It's too late to escape. Let's go. Here's your host. Greg Carrasco. You woke up this morning, got yourself a gun. I've always said you'd be the chosen one. She said, You wanna make a And just like that, we are live. There's a funny buzzing going on in the inside of my headset. Yeah. I, think, I wonder what that's coming from. There you go. It's me. I'm You're buzzing, eh? See? Troublemaker. <laughs> that's what happens when you drink this. Oh, there you go. Okay. That's okay. what happens when you drink this early in the morning. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Slackers, good morning. It's that time of the day. This beautiful Saturday morning. You listen. If you're listening to the sound of my voice, is it's a good sign, right? It means that you are still alive. And for some of you, that's a good thing. <laughs> Just for some of you. This week was an interesting week, Lex. Oh my gosh! Wow. It was interesting for me, man. I, You know, when you get a little bit older, you start feeling pains in different areas of your body. You know, you, you, you never know. And you keep thinking, <laughs> oh, crap, is this it? Like, is this it? Is this old age? No, but is this, is, is this, is this my time? Is, am I going? <laughs> so <laughs> You didn't catch that. Well, I just called you old. <laughs> you always call me old. It's okay. I can still outrun See, did you. Did you miss me? I can absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jody. You You're so good for my confidence. So, you know, Monday night, I started to feel a little funky. You know, okay. I was I was training at the jiu-jitsu school, and I started to feel a little funky. On Tuesday, it's my laundry day, and I I was really not feeling well. I had this really funny pain in the inside of my chest, in the inside, like up at the top here. Okay. And I couldn't explain it. So I don't want to go to the Oakville Hospital because... It's just a sad excuse for a medical facility. I, I I know that if I go to the emergency department there, I'm going to be stuck there for two days before somebody sees me, right? That's that's Oakville Hospital. It's terrible. Folks, a, you know, what's that? I have a better hospital for you to go to. You do? Yes. Okay, we'll talk about that in two seconds. So, I didn't want to go there because they will take, literally, they will take two days before somebody even says hello to you. So, if you're not feeling well, don't go to the Oakville Hospital. Um, so I thought, okay, our medical system sucks, all right, I pay all this money in taxes, but it doesn't do me any good, 
So why don't we go to a second medical system, you know, MedCan. Have you, have you ever heard of this? Yes, I have. Yeah, MedCan. So you, you pay a few thousand dollars. You have doctors all, you know, all, all day long. You can just go in. They see you, referrals, boom, 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 done. Except that it was 2 o'clock in the afternoon and it was too late. There was no appointments for me. This thing was getting worse, Lex. I'm sweating. Like, I started to get hot. You know, when I get, when you start getting angry or worried, just like, you get hot. Yeah. So, I didn't train, which is unusual for me because I, I do that every day. Mm -hmm. I get home. I'm having trouble just moving. Uh, I went to bed. I shut the light off. And the pain was almost unbearable. I'm thinking, man, I, I might not wake up. I may be having a heart attack and I don't even know about it. Ooh. Honestly, that's what I was thinking. You know, your mind starts playing tricks with you. So, yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah. I know the feeling. <laughs> yeah, so I'm thinking, you know, I'm falling asleep here. What would I tell my girl? Like my last words. It's like, oh, this is so sad. Like, I, <laughs> <laughs> like what? Look at the Greg Carrasco <laughs> softy over here, I'm man. I'm not softy. It's just like, you know, you I've, are. I've, I've had a good life, you know. It's, it's been, you know, from homelessness to a place in Oakville. It's like the opposite end of the spectrum. So I, I've lived a full ray of experiences in my life. That's success, but, man. That's success. Yeah, but that's not the way I want to go. <laughs> you know Maybe maybe Canada goes to war or something, and I go in the front lines and I die, or doing something crazy. Maybe go to Portugal and do a ball run or something. You know, I don't know. Ooh, but not, okay. not that. <laughs> not in my sleep. So, anyways, I, I'm thinking I, I might not wake up tomorrow morning. I feel that terrible, and, and the pain was in a really special area. You know, my left arm is numb. It's like what the hell. Mm -hmm. So I woke up next morning to my surprise. Like, Wish I'm, I'm alive. It's like, whoa. <laughs> but this pain is still here. So we, we went to the hospital, um, not Oakville Hospital. Uh, we landed at uh, Credit Valley. And oh, okay. uh, I, I, I cannot possibly tell you guys how big of a, uh, of a difference the two hospitals are. I mean, the people at Credit Valley, was, uh, they were unbelievable they were sweethearts mm -hmm. you know the, the nurse that received me is cracking jokes how are you feeling eh? you know you have a lot of pain tolerance she looked at my tattoos and she, you don't mind another needle no no problem boom you know the blood work done ECGs chest x-rays everything done we don't know what it is they they put me on some morphine. Mm -hmm. it was, you, you know, those, I got I got like the I got the goods, man. I got the goods. You got the goods. <laughs> I got the goods. Three anti-inflammatories and morphine. Ooh. Boom! I go. slept like a baby on Wednesday night for Greg's sure. Okay. Huh? <laughs> Greg, <laughs> After all the drugs. Greg's, oh yeah, Greg's I was okay. happy. <laughs> but you know, the, the pain lasted for uh, another day or two, and like this morning, I feel fine. It's like, what is this? Is this something that maybe happens you should, as you get older? You know, maybe you should go to like a heart specialist. I know my parents go every year; they do a stress test and they go on the treadmill and everything. Maybe you should look into that. Uh, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I think you should. I think you know. I, I did sign up for MedCan though. I did sign up. It's a few thousand dollars. I put my entire family, all my kids, my girl, everybody's in there. And now we, uh, I, I decided to remove myself from the, you okay, know, going go to, to the walking clinic. 
Uh, maybe. Maybe. You see, I, I am the swift... Seriously, you just experienced something on Monday and you're like, maybe. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I, I am the swift definition of healthy. You know, I don't, uh, I don't smoke. I don't really drink, except that when I'm with you matter. here on Saturday mornings. I know we and you're slacking. Yeah, you, you I didn't am bring. Slacking. You didn't bring Actually, any. Actually, I had tea this morning with my mom. Like spiced, spiked like tea. Like the Punjabi tea. The Punjabi. <laughs> Punjabi tea. I had that tea. It's really, really good. See, and, and I'm not, uh, and I'm not a fan of milk tea. But then that was actually really good milk my tea. My mom makes the best tea. Yeah. Well, you know, I. Uh, this is all I can tell you that as you get older, you start feeling pains, and immediately your brain goes, "Is this it? Am I? Am I going? Is today my last day?" And then you start thinking, do I have all my affairs in order? You know, is my will in place? You know, where do my kids go? All my kids know that something happens to me. They need to go and talk to Money Mike. They know right away. They have him on speed dial. So then he sends you into this tailspin of getting all your affairs in order. And I think it's time, man. It's time. You know, you solidify your will. You update your will. Make sure your life insurance is in place. It's like, all right, I'm good. I, I, I'm, I'm good to go. Except that I want to have more kids, man. That's the problem. I want to see the, the face of my new kids. Mm. So I, I was pretty sad on, on, on Tuesday night. But now I, I seem to be, I have a renew, I have a new lease. <laughs> 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 I saw the light on Tuesday night, but today I feel just fine. So I needed to share this with you. And you know, but before I, I, I give you my full happiness, because I seem to be okay today. Sleeping on morphine is is unbelievable, man. It's like you are gone. Yeah. You're not even dreaming. You're so gone. Yeah, you gotta love drugs. <laughs> For that reason, man. Hey, listen, I'm not saying anything here. I'm not condoning that no, behavior. No, no, no. We're saying, like, you know, if you're in the hospital, you're no, in pain. Yeah. It helps Mets, you. The goods. The good stuff. Yeah. So, in, in, I was gone. I was somewhere, and you know, I was practicing dead. You know, if that's what you do when you sleep. You're practicing to being dead. So I was practicing, you know, aggressively, and uh, in the background, I can hear my dog Marcus barking. <laughs> How is Marcus? <laughs> still on steroids? <laughs> no, that's Leo. That's a oh, little sorry. one. That's, that's, yeah, he's still on steroids. <laughs> is he still? still? Oh, yeah. He was just like, you know, jacked up <laughs> on Thursday morning. <laughs> he was jacked up on Thursday morning. So he's barking at like 3 o'clock in the morning. Like, what is he barking at? They can't see anything. They never bark at nighttime. So I woke up. Mm-hmm. I went downstairs, checked the front door, the windows, nothing. I look at my backyard, and at the very, very back of my house, I see movement, like movement. Mm-hmm. So, all right. I went upstairs, grabbed my phone. You know, I have this this uh, Wi-Fi light thing mm-hmm. that you can just turn all your lights on from your phone. Yeah. So I go downstairs to look at the same area and turn the lights on, and out of the blue, <laughs> Like 10 raccoons are looking at me and they're peeling <laughs> back my sod. <sighs> I need to get rid of raccoons, people. I felt murderous that <laughs> night. <laughs> you can imagine this. Greg versus the raccoons. Oh, no. You know, in the middle of the night. I'm not going to tell you what this, I was wearing. With the, <laughs> ster- with the steroid dog. <laughs> That's ready to take anyone down. <laughs> if anybody saw me coming out of the back door of my house, chasing after raccoons, wearing absolutely nothing, and my dog behind me, it was a beautiful scene. 
<laughs> Who do we have on the phone? <laughs> uh, we have uh, Thomas, and he wants to talk about marriage. Oh, Thomas, thank you for calling the Carrasco Show. I think that uh, I might be able to give you a, a tip or two in relation to marriage. You don't have to take my advice, though. <laughs> I clearly suck at it. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I, again, I'm going to try again, man. I'm, I'm going to do it. Thomas, how can I make your life better this morning? Hello, hello, Greg Crasco. Can you hear me? I can hear you, man. What's Are you all good? Okay. Yeah, all good. Okay, I just want to ask you about marriage because, you know, you say you're doing it again. So I just want to know, like, if you were to do it again the first time, like, what would you do differently? That's my question. Don't oh, do it. Don't do it. No, no, no. Okay, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Um... <laughs> This is this is something that I have told my children so many, 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 many times. Um, you, the number one th- thing that you need to do is get yourself a prenuptial agreement, dude. Honestly. And, and a lot of people don't understand uh, that finding a good partner, a husband or a wife, is the most important financial decision of your life. And if you are unable to come to some sort of a consensus when you are completely in love with each other, believe me, once you hate each other seven years later, you won't be able to find consensus. So in many instances, um, the that prenuptial agreement is the one thing that is going to keep you guys trying to work things out. The second thing, don't marry the person that makes you weak at the knees. Don't marry the person that gives you the butterflies. Because I can tell you, man, those feelings go away. You know, uh, only in Western society, uh, people decided to just marry for love and love alone. Are you guys crazy? How many people have you loved in your life? <laughs> many. So love eventually goes away. You know, all I can say to, you know, to my children anyways is don't, don't marry the person that, you know, that makes you go crazy with love and feelings of euphoria or don't marry somebody because the sex is good because that's what people confuse these days, you know, lust with love. You know, marry somebody that brings you peace. You know, the, the world is hard, dude. You know, you go out into the world, especially if you're a dude and you're an industrious person that is working every day trying to make a life for yourself and, and put some, you know, money in the bank account and some food on the table. The world is hard. So when you're fighting the wolves every day out in in in, in, in the universe, you don't want to come home and fight more wolves. You know, your your home needs to be your castle. It needs to be the place of sanctity. You know, that place is where you go to the corner, you know when there is a boxing match and you go to the corner for somebody to just like, you know, give you a massage around your neck and just put some ice on your head. It's like, hey, baby, you can do this. Let's go. You're ready to go. And boom, then you do it again next day. So, you know, my advice is this. If you, if you remove love, if you remove sex from that relationship, would you still be with them? And if the answer to that, uh, I don't know, <laughs> then don't do it. Don't do it. Because that stuff goes away. And, you know, do I love my person today? Absolutely. But that's not the reason why I am going to marry this girl. I'm going to marry this girl because I respect her, because she is a good person, because she brings me peace and sanity. You know, when I come home, it's my safest place, man. And that's the reason why I think that we should get married. Uh, I I did it for the wrong reasons before. I, I was looking for something that I thought was what I wanted, and um, I I wish I would have waited a little longer. Um, you know, we often rush things, and uh, I especially guys, 
um, Western civilization is delaying the ma- the maturing process of males. Guys do not really grow onto themselves until their thirties. You know, there's a there's a lot of grown boys out there that are just playing around. And the truth is this: that uh, uh, I didn't come onto myself until you know in my forties, and um, uh, there is a lot of people with unresolved issues out there. That I uh, should not be getting married. You need to work in yourself. You need to, you know, go. <laughs> there is a stigma around therapy, man. And uh, I think that if you feel that you're one of those people that needs some psychological tune-ups, don't hold back. Mental health is 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 paramount when it, when you're living with someone a hundred percent of the time. And that if you don't have your act together, believe me, man. You you know that person that you're marrying is not going to add to your problems. It's going to multiply your problems. Am I making sense to to you today? Yes, yes, you are. Uh, you know, yeah, I hear you well. I hear you, and uh, men rush things because you know. I don't know about you, but in North America, it feels like you know there's a shortage of houses. There's a shortage of women too. So you know, you want to lock up the woman, make sure she doesn't go somewhere else with another guy. So you know, you ru- you marry her, and then after that, all hell breaks loose. I've seen that happen. Not in all cases, but in some cases it happens. Well, yeah. I I believe that yeah. I believe that nobody you can that? take your. I don't I don't think that any any man can take your woman. If somebody takes your woman, they're not taking your woman; they're taking your problems. So you know you you can't hold people with you that don't doesn't want to be with you, man. And and that's the problem. We are, you know we <laughs> we are so. Look at it this. Let, let me just explain it in a different way. I I made the decision that I was not going to look for my other half. I never wanted another half because I'm not a half. I am a full person. You understand what I'm saying? So if somebody is with me or not without me, I'm not going to break up and fall apart. The, the, the reality is that we can find anybody to look after us. If That's ultimately what we're looking for. But you see, finding someone that is a partner in crime that is going to live life with you in which you can make the choice of being together every day. And that becomes a choice, man. No one, no one is obligated to be here. Then you can start looking at your relationship objectively. Unfortunately, we are using love as the be all and end all of all the relationships. And that's a mistake. That is that is a mistake, a hundred percent. Do you disagree on this? No, I agree. I agree. Last question. Okay, on the prenuptial agreement. What yes. if she refuses? She she doesn't want to do it. Then so don't marry her. How do you make w- her walk do away. It? Just walk oh, away, man. <laughs> Just walk away. Find yourself some. Look, man. If if somebody doesn't want to agree with you, at this level, when you're supposed to be the most in love, you need to walk away. It's going to be less painful than when you've been married for three, four, five, seven years. You have two or three kids. You have a house and everything together. And then your life will be ruined. Believe me, I'd rather have my feelings ruined than my finances ruined. A hundred percent. Because finances to rebuild, man, is a tough, it's a tough, tough, tough thing to do. Walk away, man. Just walk away. And if you, if you are unable to solve that, that conflict at this level, uh, you know, at this stage of the game, is that should give you the biggest sign that you guys will not going to be able to make it through the tough times. I'm sorry, man. 
Just walk away, brother. Okay. But you know, listen, I, I do have to take a break. Thank you f- so much for that phone call, man. I really appreciate it. Folks, the show is brought to you by Oakville Nissan and Oakville Infinity. Uh, we are the home of the no commission salespeople. And believe it or not, you don't have to wait for a car anymore. You're going to dealerships. You're going to different brands that are making you wait for six, eight 12 months. Sometimes you even have to wait for years for a vehicle to land. You shouldn't want a car that badly. When you do, you are nothing more than a victim of marketing companies that tell you that you should be driving that because that's what defines you. No, 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 no. We have vehicles in stock. You can pick them up today. We will look after you. Oakville Nissan and Oakville Infinity won't let you down. Let's take a short break. We'll be right back. When I cross the street, it's the cars that have to look both ways. <laughs> I'm Chuck Norris, and you're listening to the Greg Carrasco Show. Darcy Tucker here, and if you're hearing the sound of my voice, it's too late to escape. You're listening to the Greg Carrasco Show. If you're just tuning in, folks, you are listening to the Greg Carrasco Show, Canada's largest radio show on weekends. We talk about everything or anything. We used to be the largest automotive radio show in the country. And then, like most of my listeners, we got bored of cars. I will answer car questions for, for sure, because I seem to know most about that sort of thing. But the reality is that my life has taken me to different places. I I have a very set of eclectic interests. I love the arts. I love music. I love fighting and choking people as a pastime. I don't know why Jody's laughing. I love politics. And from time to time, I take a deep dive into political conversations that, you know, sometimes I really don't know much about. But I'm curious. I want to know. This week was not an exception. I, um, you know, in typical fashion, I, I, was, I was worried um, I don't know why I was worried because it doesn't really affect me directly. But when the prime minister announced that uh, another country was ordering hits of killing Canadians in Canadian soil, and I thought, oh, that's not going to be good. That's not going to be good for international relations. That's not going to be good from a trade standpoint. 
There's a lot of people from India that have emigrated to Canada. They have businesses there. They have family there. They have homes there. And I couldn't see the upside of that exchange. I thought that was probably a conversation that needed to be had between diplomats until some sort of an understanding was reached. But then I decided that I didn't know enough. And the truth is that I don't. And from the outside, it's very, very, it's very simple to make, to draw conclusions. You know, the Indian government says that, you know, certain fashions or, you know, parts of immigrants here in Canada are part of a terrorist organization and the, the, the Canada is protecting terrorists. And I'm like, I don't know. I th- you know, perhaps I need to know a little bit more about this issue. So... Do we have our guests on yep. now? So we, we have a guest this morning, folks. And uh, the, re- the reason why I wanted to speak to this gentleman is simply because I, Greg Carrasco, need to be educated. And uh, before I draw any conclusions in how I feel about this, I decided to, you know, to have somebody here that has skin in the game. And um, with me this morning, I have Harman Singh. He is the VP of the World Sikh Organization. Uh, Mr. Singh, thank you for joining the Carrasco this morning. How are you? I'm doing well, Greg. Thanks for having me on. You know, I I, I want to thank you for taking the time on the, on, the, on this weekend. And um, I, I want to thank you for two reasons, because I know that this is a busy, t- busy time for you with all the stuff that's going on. But also, um, I want you to educate an, an, an ignorant mind. And I'm not talking ignorant in the sense of, you know, lack of intellect. I'm talking in the lack of knowledge. And uh, I think that many people, when they heard the news this week of what the prime minister was saying out loud, uh, we... A lot of people jump to conclusions, but there isn't a lot of background that is being provided by uh, standard media to explain what is taking place between India and certain small factions of their country, in this case, Punjab. Can you give me a little bit of background of what is taking place in India right now and what has brought this to light in recent uh, allegations from the Prime Minister of Canada that has completely destroyed diplomatic relations between India and Canada. The floor is yours. Yeah, I think, you know, people woke up this week to, to start to understand that our framing or, or the Canadian media's framing of India as the world's largest democracy is fraught with so many problems. Um this was not a decision, a political decision by a prime minister. This is intelligence that was collected and provided by intelligence agencies. And in fact, we learned that some of the evidence that exists, it was provided by one of our Five Eyes allies. Um, you know, and that really kind of for the Canadian Sikh community, when, when uh, by Hardeep Singh Nidger, uh, Hardeep Singh Nidger, who was a Gordwana president, so uh, place of worship for the Sikh community. He was a president of a, of a local Gordon in Surrey. He was a plumber. He was an organizer for the Sikh sovereignty movement for Khalistan. He was organizing a referendum, a non-binding vote of the Sikh community worldwide on whether or not they want a separate state in India. And he was assassinated in June. Um, and the community understood immediately. 
the day that um, Bainar Deep Singh Nijar was assassinated, that day he gives a speech in his Gurdwara, a place of worship, and saying, look, I've been told, I've been informed by Canadian intelligence that I'm on a hit list. And I know that I'm going to be targeted. I know I'm going to be killed. But I'm going to continue to speak out against um, the Indian regime's abuse of human rights. I'm going to continue to advocate for sovereignty. And I'm not going to live mm-hmm. afraid. And so when he is killed, every, all the community entirely points the finger at the Indian government. And that's when we see, you know, Canadian mainstream media start to spin a counter narrative. You know, and there's journalists in this country who try to create this as being some type of interpersonal conflict, when the community always understood the role that the Indian government played. So this week for us was a week of relief. It was a week of acknowledgement, of validation, of things that we've been saying for so long. Because India has been interfering in this country for decades. And it's something that has gone totally under the rug. You saw the reaction, Greg, and you nailed it, which is, you know, a lot of people thought, well, why wouldn't this be done, you know, diplomatically? Why wouldn't this be done, you know, think about trade? Well, for far too long in this country, we've put economic interests ahead of human rights. And when you look at the Indian regime today, this is a regime where, you know, press freedoms in that country rank below Afghanistan. But I mean, it is, the uh, sorry, uh, you know, sorry to interject, and uh, I want you to continue with that thought. But I mean, the same thing is happening in Canada. You know, if you if you when when most mainstream media is funded by the government, um, most mainstream media will never say anything that would contradict the government narrative. So, I mean, to to say that we have freedom of press in Canada. It's also a bit of a misnomer, uh, if you will, because the same thing is happening here. Now, you know, I, I do have a couple of questions, though, before you, you carry on. Um, you know, Khalistan, the Khalistani movement has been labeled by the Indian government as a terrorist organization. Is it a terrorist organization? Well, I think it's a great question. You look, So India just opened up their new parliament this week. Mm-hmm. The second day of their parliament... One of a BJP, one of the government MPs, accused a opposition MP of being a terrorist in their House of Parliament. Anybody who who speaks up, who expresses dissent, is labeled a terrorist by the Indian state. It is a common practice to undermine voices. To them, terrorism is somebody who just speaks out against what they do. And Canada, and this is one of them, the problems between Canada and India for decades which is India keeps telling Canada, crack down on these Khalistanis, crack down. And whether it was Harper, whether it was Trudeau, he's, well, number one, I can't do that. I, I can't go and tell people to stop their political speech. Number two, if they're advocating peacefully, mm-hmm. that is a protected, that's protected under our, our Charter of Rights and Freedoms. We can't enforce your concept of... Um, uh, uh, autocratic nation. We cannot go and now tell people not to advocate peacefully. And that's where the Indian state has an absolute problem with Canada. They want uh, they want Canadian governments, and it's been a successive thing. This is not a recent history um, item. They want, they want uh, Canadian Sikhs to be muzzled and silenced. Because what is happening in India today? The degradation of democratic freedoms and rights. Democracy means different things to different people. Of course. And the equivalency between India media freedoms versus Canadian media freedoms is not even close. The Indian government surveils all social media. You just have a group chat that says Khalistan, 
People have been picked up and put in jail in India for that. Mm -hmm. You have mobs that are killing minorities in that country with the tacit approval of government. That's Muslims, that's Christians, that's Dalits, low caste, that's Sikhs. They're being targeted. In the last few months in Manipur, hundreds of Christians have been killed, churches have been set on fire by people associated with the BJP and the RSS. The last several years um, have seen India push towards becoming a fascist state under the Modi government. And remember, Modi is someone who in 2002 was banned from coming to the U.S. because of his role as chief minister in Gujarat in going after the anti-Muslim riots. Mm -hmm. This man on a world stage was was absolutely isolated because of his role in, in attacking Muslims. And yet... Here we are because he becomes prime minister. Now, now you know the, the world has has changed its tone. So, no surprise that he felt emboldened uh, enough to to, and the state felt emboldened enough to now start to take things to the next level. As a Sikh community, for decades we've struggled with this. We've struggled with the interference they have, the surveillance they have in this country, the undermining of our political um, um, voices and representatives. You know that is a huge problem. And, and, and I'll say, we, I once sat in a meeting with Canadian MPs and, and of, a, of a particular party and asked them, how many of you, and there's maybe 15 of them, how many of you have um, you know, had phone calls from the Indian High Commission and told you how to do things in Canada? And every single one of them had to put up their hand because Indian interference in this country is vast. And it has gone unchecked for way too long. So I think that I, I need to just, you know, ask this question again, because, again, uh, there is there is a vast majority of um, uh, Canadians who are not from Indian descent that don't understand this historical conflict that has been between right. the the Sikh community and the, and the Indian government. But. The Khalistani movement has been labeled to be a terrorist organization, and I, you know, I think that you you explained it quite eloquently, because the same, th- you know, you you may not like to hear what I have to say, but the Canadian government does the exact same thing. Whenever whenever there is a movement that disagrees fundamentally with what the government is doing, they're immediately labeled. Uh, they are given, you know, they are white supremacists or terrorism, and so on and so on. And uh, I think I can draw the parallel from that, but. You know, can you elaborate a little bit more on the desire of the Sea community to separate itself from the Indian uh, nation and, and have their own government or to be self-regulated? Because I believe that that's what uh, Jody. Yeah, yes. So, hi, Herman. This is uh, Jyoti's here. Uh, my name is Jyoti, and um, I was actually talking to Greg about this off the air as well yesterday. And I think the confusion comes from is that what is the Khalistani movement? Because right now we are in Canada, where we're we live here. This is where our day-to-day lives are. But because we follow the faith, the Sikh faith, people get confused between that and who you are if you are a Khalistani. I was directly asked if I was a Khalistani because I come from the Sikh faith. Mm-hmm. I think what the public yeah, is unaware of, what is the Khalistani movement? You know, let's go back really basic and really quick history. Mm-hmm. Up until 1850, um, Sikhs had enjoyed their own empire. Um, they had their own um, Raj. They they ruled themselves. And, mm-hmm. and the Sikh Raj, the Sikh empire, was actually a great example of pluralism and inclusivity. Um, you know, the Sikh emperor, Maharaj Ranjit Singh, actually built 
mosques. He built mandars uh, for Hindus. He built gurdwaras. Um, he had generals who were from the Napole- uh, from Napoleon's army. You know, so what we had as a Sikh empire was actually something that I think a lot of people need to look to towards how how you have inclusivity. And we're talking about you know the early 1800s here. In 1850, the Punjab and the Sikh empire is one of the is the last part of the subcontinent that then comes under British rule. And so for 97 years, you know, um, Sikhs are now part of the British uh, British Raj in in the subcontinent. But there is a massive movement of independence. And in fact, in the early 1900s, many Sikhs leave India, they come to the shores of North America, and it is from North America that they actually organize an anti-imperialist and anti-colonial movement, which is called the Ghadar Movement. And this was a movement to overthrow the British in India, uh, and they organize here. And one of the reasons why, you know, people forget that Sikhs have been in Canada for over 100 years. Yeah, for sure. There's not a community that just showed up. Right. Um, you know, and they've been organizing against tyranny and oppression since that period of time. And so, you know, once as the independence movement progresses in India, most of the um, you know contributions in terms of the, the people who go to jail, the, the numbers that are executed by the British, British Empire, you know, the majority of that is is Punjabis. It is people of the Sikh faith. And they are always the biggest threat to the British Empire. Because, again, this is a group of people that's enjoyed the, of sovereignty. And so, ultimately, Punjab and the community sits at the table as the negotiation happens uh, for when India, when they, the British are going to exit. During that conversation, the Sikhs are basically assured and promised a separate status, almost of a nation of a nation status, by Gandhi and Nehru within India. Mm-hmm. And that no constitution of India will be signed without their approval. Now, 1947 happens, the British leave, and the Sikhs come over, partition happens. So many of us and our forefathers left their homeland in, in what is now modern-day Pakistan. Uh, you know, we then travel to India, we lose, you know, there's intercommunal violence. Over a million people die. It's one of the largest uh, mass migrations in human history. Um, and, and again, that's really important for people to understand. The borders you see today are a creation of 1947. Before 1947, no India exists. India is a very new nation in that in, in that way. Mm-hmm. And but sorry to add, if you look, to the pro- sorry to add, Herman, if you look at the Pakistan map and you look at the India map, you'll see Punjab. You'll see Punjab in Pakistan. You'll see Punjab in in India. Yes. Mm-hmm. That was also cut in between. So yeah, Punjab and, was and a state that was cut. Yeah, but yeah. wasn't it divided into three different areas? The Sikh area, the Hindu area, and the Muslim area? No? No. So, so Greg, what happens is yeah, go the ahead. Sikhs have to now leave their homeland, leave their, their side of Punjab, and come over to the India side. Okay. But the tragedy of all this is that the promises that Nehru and Gandhi, you know, Gandhi, this great you know person that people somehow... Um, say, the father of the Indian nation. I mean, for six, he, he's a traitor. For six, you know, this, this, I mean, the history shows he was a sexual deviant. Um, he was a convenient figure for the British because he wasn't going to hold them accountable for the atrocities they committed. Um, and, and they, he reneges on these promises. Nehru reneges. Um, they don't give the six the status in the Constitution. And in fact, the Sikh representatives of the time refused to sign the Constitution. The Sikhs have never acceded to the Constitution of India. 
there has always continued to be a push for for greater um, autonomy, for rights, for sovereignty. Ultimately, some members of that of the community it, it then escalates into militancy because now the state starts to push back. Um, in India, the the, pres- the prime minister has the power to subrogate any government under what's called president's rule. So imagine this. Imagine the Prime Minister Trudeau decides that, you know what, I don't like Alberta's government because they talk about sovereignty. I'm going to completely dismiss the Premier of of Alberta and dismiss all the MLAs, uh, and I'm going to go and rule directly. Well, that's what Indira Gandhi does in Punjab on multiple occasions with the Sikhs. You know, uh, Harman, this is this. Sorry to interrupt you, and this is a very, very interesting train of thought that you're in right now. But we do need to take a very, very short break. Um, you know, because obviously we need to pay the bills and we need to talk about our sponsors. But you know, please <laughs> don't go anywhere, uh, folks. The show is brought to you by Oakville Nissan at Oakville Infinity. What an interesting conversation with Mr. Harman Singh, the VP of the World Sikh Organization. Uh, let's take a short break, and we'll be right back. What's up, everybody? This is Randy Couture, and if I'm not beating people up, I'm listening to The Greg Carrasco Show. Give it a listen. Take care. David Asloff here. Now, I only have one thing to say that you need to make better life choices. Listen to The Greg Carrasco Show. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to the Greg Carrasco Show. We are Canada's largest radio show on weekends. And with me is uh, Harman Singh. He is uh, currently a partner in the Shari Bhatia uh, law firm. He uh, He's a full-service law firm that uh, specializes in commercial litigation. He's also the vice president of the World Seek Organization of Canada and serves on the city of Edmonton's anti-racism advisory committee. Um, you know, Mr. Singh... My affinity for the Sikh community runs deep. I, you know, I'm an immigrant from Chile. I came to Canada 35 years ago, and uh, you know, every single exposure that I have had to the Sikh community has always been uh, a very kind, uh, very generous, very generous community. And uh, um, you know, by personal interest, I, I read, you know, quite quite a bit about it. And it, it is a, it's a, it's a. It's a culture that is based on warriors. It's, it's, it's the warrior race in India. Um, you know, sort of like the Indian samurais, if you will. Um, am I mistaken when I make that assumption? Uh, no, absolutely not. Uh, definitely there is a spirit of what we like to call Saint Soldier. Um, with, you know, the combination of, of, you know, understanding that you need to stand up for oppression and be a warrior against oppression. Absolutely, bang on. So, how do you see this playing out? Because the Indian government now is is, is literally, you know, declaring war against their 
warring class. They, a, a lot of the military is comprised by Sikh soldiers. So how, how does India navigate on this? But also, what do you think the long-term repercussions to the Canada-India relations is going to be? Simply because uh, the moment that you shut down trade, the moment that you shut down visas, and uh, the 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 bilateral exchange of goods and services and people, uh, you know, Canada has deep ties with India. This is going to have very very deep repercussions to the Indian community here in Canada. No. Yeah, I mean, there's a practical consideration, right? The suspension of visa services for people. You know, uh, I think you you said it right off the top, which is a lot of um, the diaspora, the Indian diaspora in Canada has. You know, potential interests back home. They have family back home. Some people have land. Uh, they have financial interests, and they travel there. You know, a significant portion of our seniors um, are snowbirds. They just don't go to Florida. They go to India, right, during the winter. Yeah. And so, coming, you know, the coming up months is going to see uh, you know a massive uh, amount of people going there. But like, let's just understand the context of in India, the Punjabi Sikh community makes up something like 1% of the population. We're talking about 20 million, 30 million, and 1.4 billion people. It's minuscule. But Punjab produces a majority of the agricultural output that feeds that nation. And so Punjab has always punched above its weight when it came to a production. lot of issues because of its production. I mean, yeah. it's, it feeds. It's the wheat. It's the rice. It's... So the grains, it's so much of what feeds that nation. So strategically very important for the country. The other thing is this government, the BJP, the RSS, they've always understood that co-opting the sick narrative of warrior history, co-opting the, the, the sick history of, you know, standing up against oppression, whether that was during the independence movement against the British, um, that they want, they want that to be part of their nation state's uh, formation story, or whether that goes back to the period of our gurus, that goes back to, you know, the 1600s and 1500s, where the Sikhs stood against the Mughals, who were a foreign invading power. Um, you have to remember, India and, and a lot of the population of India has lived subjugated for centuries up until 1947, and as you mentioned, the Sikh community is. is probably, you know, one of the communities that stood up against those things. So strategically, obviously, there's a lot of concerns. I mean, you know, a lot of colleges in Ontario rely on Indian students, and again, mostly from Punjab, um, uh, you know, for for higher fees, right? That's how they're running their businesses. Mm -hmm. And the amount of, when you look at the Indian diaspora in Canada, more than half of that is Punjabi. So we don't have a uh, Indian diaspora that reflects the same type of proportions that you would see in India. Punjabi Sikhs are definitely overrepresented in Canada, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, the community is very sensitive to this because they lived through a period, right? When, when we were talking about the history, ultimately what happens in the 80s is the Indian government commits genocide on the Sikh community. Right. It's been recognized. Even the BJP at one point recognizes as a genocide, a state sponsored terror and killing of innocent people. This so was during the Indira Gandhi with. government, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. In the yes, Golden Palace. I, I mean, that, that made the news. I was very young when that took place, but I read about it uh, during my, you know, sometimes I go down the rabbit holes of history. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was it was absolutely genocide. And so in the aftermath, you know, like in, in, in November of 1984, after her assassination, 10, at least 10,000 Sikhs were killed. lay dead in the streets of Delhi. Like, 
10,000 bodies of sick, of sick men, women, children. Women were raped in front of their husbands, in front of their brothers. Um, you know, it was the most, you know, all the atrocities you can think of were committed. And that's, you know, what, 38 years ago? Um, and no justice. Justice has never happened. Um, you look at so many of these issues that the sick community raises, and, and the Indian government does nothing. But people still live with a lot of that fear, Greg. You know, the fear of what happened. Even now, when we speak out on these issues, so many people in our community don't want to. And they tell us, don't speak on these issues. Don't say anything. Because they remember when their sons or their neighbors they were or their friends were yep. picked up, you know, by police and disappeared and never showed up never showed up again. There's those disappearance over a decade that happened. There's still people who have that fear, but for so many of sex, it, no, we're always going to continue to stand up. We're always going to challenge oppression. And right now, the Indian government is an authoritarian regime. They are killing minorities, whether that's Christians, whether that's Muslims, whether that's Dalits. And it's time for the world to wake up. And I think it is. Now you've seen the U.S. you know, come out strongly against India after the disinformation campaign. Because India operates a very sophisticated disinformation campaign, uh, uh, disinformation networks to put out propaganda. The media there, I mean, I, I posted about one of this. One of the media narratives in India is Trudeau's plane was delayed because he was uh, he got caught smuggling drugs out of India. Yeah. <laughs> like just absolute absurdities is what's coming. Like you can't rely on any information that comes out of that country. Um, you know, and now you have even the Saudi government comes out, talks about the issue in Kashmir. So I think India really overplayed its hand in coming out so strongly against Canada. They look like a nation that's guilty. Why would you push back this hard? Why wouldn't you say, thank you for raising this concern? We're going to look into this. They had those opportunities diplomatically. Canada raised this three times privately. And all they needed to do was, yes, we'll look into this. If this is true, you know, there will have to be consequences. That's it. And yet, instead, what they do, they do the same childish, immature thing that they always do, thinking that people need them more than they need everyone else. Remember, like, you know, for the long, the only, India's only become a darling of, of the West in the past few years as a bulwark to China, not for any other reason. Um, and so I think this is an important thing for Canadians to remember. Our trade with India is still very limited for the potential it could have had. But the Indian government has not reciprocated in a good faith effort to do a trade deal. They just, it's not a priority for them because everything India does is for their own domestic audience. Everything Modi is doing now, everything the Indian government is doing now is to play to a domestic audience. And who's going to be caught in the middle and who's going to suffer the consequences is going to be the Canadian community. Well... I, I want to thank you profusely, immensely, uh, Mr. Singh, for you know making time this morning uh, to come and shed a little bit of light into this very complex political, social political issue that is affecting you know tens of thousands of people around the world and uh, especially in the uh, the sea community in India. And I, I I most certainly hope that some sort of uh, 
conversation, that some sort of dialogue gets started again between the two governments. But the way that it's going right now, it seems like it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. Um, that is Harman Singh, everyone, VP of the World Sikh Organization. Uh, Mr. Singh, thank you so much for joining the Carrasco Show this morning. We do have to go for a break, but thank you so much for being on the show this morning. Yeah, appreciate it. Thank you. Wow. There's a lot to think about there, folks. I advise you to educate yourself before you draw any conclusions. Yes, and just don't assume that anyone that follows a Sikh faith or is wearing the Sikh attire, that, you know, they're Khalistani. You, p- proper research needs to be done in order to understand what is the Khalistani movement before coming to an assumption. They're not asking for their own country. They're asking for their rights, which is everyone deserves. If we live in Canada, we talk about, you know, having our rights. We have we see rallies in in down in Toronto downtown. If they're allowed to peacefully rally, so are the Sikhs. Just got to do some research and no need to call anyone a terrorist. Well, we seem to throw that word around quite often uh, here in Canada, but uh, maybe this is time to step back and reflect. The show is brought to you by Oakville Nissan in Oakville Infinity. You're listening to the Greg Carrasco Show, Canada's largest radio show on weekends. We're going to take a very, very short break, and we're going to be right back with another incendiary topic. you got to stay tuned. We'll be right back. What's up, sports fans? Forrest Griffin here, and I want you to check out the Greg Carrasso Show. Check him out. Greg and the gang. Uh, yeah, enjoy. It is time for Greg Carrasco. Kick it. Whoa, it's the Greg Carrasso Show. Get this party on the road. How fast can this right go? Whoa, yeah. Celebrity guest from the East Coast to the West. folks if you're just tuning in you're listening to the Greg Carrasco show we are here every single Saturday morning 8 to 11 a.m. discussing all the difficult things from um, 
from a normal standpoint, from a layman's standpoint, there's a lot of things that I don't understand, and I, that's not what I claim to do here on the show. I'm just willing to take a dive into subjects that are complex, and, and, and I'm okay saying I don't know. I'm okay saying this is over my head. I need to read a little more. Please help me educate myself because I I think that it's very easy to jump into conclusions. This week, uh, I was, um, although there wasn't a lot of coverage, I, I, I tell you that much, uh, there was a pretty big rally going on across mm-hmm. the country. Uh, it was called the Million, the One Million March. It was... Um, it, there were thousands, tens of thousands of parents around the country protesting um, something that seems to be a pretty taboo topic these days. And with me on air, I have one of Canada's best known political analysts. And I think that, uh, you know, it's, it's very, very important that we take that into consideration. We analyze things. We discuss things. Tasha Kiernan is with me. Hi, Tasha, this morning. How are you this morning? Hey, Greg. I'm great. How are you? Uh, scared, because this is a very sensitive topic. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I'm going to try to do my best to, to navigate it with you uh, as a parent. I, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm sure that you are as well. If not, you know, I... Um, yes. uh, it, Whenever you um, you have a government, when you whenever you have an education system that is pushing forward uh, a curriculum in in which the parents' ideas are not taken into consideration, in other words, we're going to teach your kids whatever we want, whether you like it or not. Are we even surprised that there was a protest? And because that's that's what is actually what's happening right now. No, can you know from your perspective what is taking place? Well, I think uh, what's taking place is a sense, like you said, that parents' views are not respected or reflected, not simply in the curriculum, but I think in sort of the attitude towards the entire issue. Um, A lot of parents, in fact, most parents I know, all the parents I know, have no issue with trans rights, with LGBTQ individuals. Um, If their children were trans or gay, they wouldn't care. Uh, And it's more that, though, the sense that the school is focusing on this issue to the exclusion of a lot of other priorities and also at an age which is inappropriate. And I think, you know, it's one thing to talk to teenagers about sexuality because teenagers have feelings, they become sexual beings. Um, But when you're talking to kids in grade school, uh, grade one, kindergarten, you tell them things like, you know, boys and girls, you're a boy, you might feel like you're a girl. And if you're a girl, you might feel like you're a boy. And it's honestly confusing. I, I personally know um, friends of mine who have children and grandchildren who've, who've had those lessons, who've come away actually distressed. And it's, I just, it's so unnecessary. And there are things you can teach. If you want to teach kids not to bully other kids, teach them about kindness, teach them that anyone who's different for any reason, not just because they're trans or any, just for any reason, you should be nice to them. But you don't need to single out and you don't need to, talk to kids about concepts that they may not grasp that it's it's not about you know converting kids or do it people talk about that no it's you're you're confusing them and you're presenting material that is not age appropriate so that's the complaints parents have and that's what's shut down is the minute you say anything people assume that you're anti-trans you're anti-gay that's the frustration is that there's no room for dialogue and i think that's why the parents came out the way they did 
There was, there was a couple of things that you have here in the article that, that made a tremendous amount of sense to me because uh, I, I think that, you know, the, the way that they're putting the, the, the debate forward is that you are, you are either in full support of the drag story time or you are a transphobic bigot that want everything to be exterminated. And there is nothing in between. And, you know, as you so eloquently said at the beginning of this conversation is that, you know, most parents, we, we don't care. Like, you know, if my kids are gay, okay, no problem. If you are trans, all right, I love you anyways. Let's move on. But there are some topics that are not age appropriate. What I don't understand there, Natasha, here is that where is this coming from? And, and to what avail? What are we trying to accomplish by exposing underage children to this sort of topic that is going to create a lot of problems for them in their own psychological development? I mean, we are planting seeds that we may not know what the fruit is on the other side, what, what is the outcome well, that they want? Yeah, I think we've gotten, yeah, I think we've gotten away in the whole conversation um, around, away from what education is for, which is why I wrote the article, because to me, the central question is, what is a school for? What is education meant to do? And to me, education is to teach children skills and competencies that they can use in later life, that they will eventually develop a career path to find their passions, whether it's in arts, in, you know, sports, academics, whatever it is, but you are teaching them skills. You are not imparting either values or value set. And I, I include all here. I'm not in favor. I mean, if you, you want to have, for example, religious education, I think that is, you're right to have it, but not in the public school system. I do believe the public school system should be a secular system. I know Absolutely. a lot of people listening will go, well, well, the Catholic system is great. And, you know, we have that for a constitutional reason in Ontario. Um, and that's an issue that's come up before in politics. We're not going to, you know, no one's going to touch that, unfortunately, because of the constitutional question. But I think, you know, Quebec deconfessionalized its school system. Um, I think that there should be, if you're going to teach public school, and public school should not have any isms in it. So that includes this, um, what people call gender ideology uh, or teaching about gender concepts. Um, because I think that, it, it, you know, at a certain age, like I said, you're going to have a sex ed program. At certain ages, things become appropriate to talk about. But you, you, the, the problem parents have is that um, I think it's, it's being, it's taking up a lot of space when kids are not succeeding in academics. Our EQAO scores are dropping. Our PISA scores, which is the international scores mm -hmm. that are country to country comparison, Canada is dropping, Greg. We, we, we're the only country that's seen a consistent decline in math and science. Um, you know, that's, that's those, those are the things that need space in school. And I have a feeling, and I've talked to a couple of teachers about this, well, more than a couple, but a couple have said to me that, you know, teachers go into the profession with great intentions. Um, when you go to teacher's college, you know, the, the it's a very noble thing. You're going out there to mold the minds of the next generation. And there's a lot of idealism there. And I get a sense that people are getting carried away with what the mission of teaching is. Um, you know, teaching kids to read and write maybe isn't as exciting as becoming social justice warriors and mm -hmm. going on campaigns. You know, like there's so many things in our schools today that you scratch your head and go, why are the kids doing this instead of learning to read and write? Why? Um, so I don't have a full answer to you, but I think it's reflective of, of a larger context uh, of what education has gotten away from in our lives. 
Um, you you also wrote here in the article something that resonated with me that even with movies these days, whenever there is sort of you know sexual or nudity content within the movie, is a PG thirteen. However, <laughs> kids are being shown or talked about explicit sexual things way before the age of thirteen. Now. Is If that is not a contradiction, I don't know what is. What I don't understand is the ultimate agenda. What are we trying to accomplish with this? You know, my, my biggest concern with the Canadian education system is, is very simple, is that we are not teaching kids how to think. We're, we're telling them what to think. And any teacher that doesn't comply with what the board is demanding for them to do, they get expelled, they get marginalized, they get excluded, secluded, and ultimately fired. And, uh, you know, I have a lot of friends that are teachers, and uh, this is these are taboo topics. I mean, even when they talk to me, they, they lower their voice. I can, you know, when when you go to the, the Humane Society, uh, Tasha, and you, you know, you approach a dog that has been beaten, they immediately cower down, they hide their tail, they lower their eyes, and so on. It feels that way whenever I speak to a teacher that doesn't agree with the current narrative that is being pushed forward. Now, teachers are supposed to be educating young minds to become something, to to make something of themselves in the future. I don't see any educational value on this. I I don't see anything at all. Where do you think that this is taking us? Well, I don't, I don't see an educational value in a lot of it either. And this is, this is the issue, is that if there's no educational value, why are we doing it? Um, I, a lot of the teachers, I, and I don't want to demonize teachers, because teachers, like you said, there are a lot of teachers who really disagree with this, but they are silent. A lot of this direction comes from school boards. Mm-hmm. And the school boards um, are, it, it's a different, I guess it's a different level of um, involvement in education because a lot of people in school boards are not people who are elected. They're not educators. They're not teachers. So it's false to say that, you know, school boards are run all by educational professionals. A lot of the trustees on school boards are not teachers. They never were. They have an interest in education, perhaps, but they don't they don't have a grounding in it. Um, And second, uh, there's a lot of politics in it as well. As you know, um, the NDP is really, really great at electing school trustees and local counselors, especially here in the city of Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't know how it is in Mississauga, but in the city of Toronto, they're very, very strong. Um, and the reason for that is political, is that they put a lot of effort and investment into that level of government. Um, it's where they're probably most successful in major cities. Um, so you see left-leaning groups like the NDP or other um, progressive groups, so-called progressive groups, taking over the management Academia. of the board. Yeah. And that will set a direction. Yeah, th- that will set a direction. It's the same, well, in universities too, there's definitely a bent towards progressivism. Oh, yeah. Um, and so what you see is, is you that changes the curriculum. Curriculum is set at the provincial level, it is true, but the boards define activities, what kids do, um, you know, to a much greater extent than most people realize. So the teachers have to go along, like you said, or else they end up on what's called home assignment. Home assignment is when someone makes, for example, a complaint against you or something, or you're, you know, you, you run afoul of one of the codes of, of, of anything, ethics, you make the wrong remark, whatever. There's hundreds of teachers in Toronto that have been on home assignment because the minute something is said, you have to go home and you're not teaching. Um, there's, you know, the whole system is very skewed towards trying to basically, like you said, keep people quiet. People are afraid to say things. 
people are afraid to talk about this topic. Our politicians are afraid to talk about it because it is so difficult. Because the minute you say anything, people will say, oh, you must be this. You must be, you know, anti-gay. You must be trans- transphobic. Now, let's be, let's be honest. In the protest, there were people who, who were those things. Of course. Speak. In fact, it was very distressing. It was terrible. There were some children who took the microphone. I've seen this. Probably everyone has on social media saying terrible anti-gay things, anti-LGBTQ things. And that is very disturbing. And that does not, you know, that kind of piece is not where I want to go, where most parents I know want to go. Um, so the problem is because that element is there, it changed everything else. And people legitimately say, well, I don't want to stand with people like that. I totally understand it. It, it, it It's very difficult for that reason. Um, but I think you have to tease out, like I said, the, the way to find the common ground here is to tease out, like, what's education? What is it? What What are we doing with education? And if you do that, you eliminate a lot of things. You might also eliminate things like, you know, um, you know, Portuguese flag month or Italian day or whatever. Like we do a whole bunch of stuff mm-hmm. in schools that has nothing to do with education, with competencies and no, it, it's, 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 the kids might like it. It might be, you know, let's do a heritage day or this or that. But at the end of the day, what you're doing, and it's funny, my daughter says this too. She's in high school now. She says, you know, we divide all the time into groups. Like it's always like, I am identified this or I am this or I am that. She goes, we should find stuff that's more common to each other to get along better. And I agree because kids tend to subdivide themselves anyway, right? You'll have the, You'll have the golf kids, and you'll yep. have the sportsy kids, and you'll have the the the, the basic kids. Is even a term they use, right? The kids who are, um, you know, you think of the popular kids from the, from old nineteen eighties movies. Um, but the point is, instead of instead of that, we should encourage the kids to find common ground as opposed to dividing them into more and more identities. It's actually very destructive. And if it were working, Greg, if if all this stuff and and inclusion conversations and stuff was actually helping, violence should go down in school. It's actually gone up. It's gone up incrementally. This has been the most violent year on record for the Toronto District School Board. Um, and I don't think it's an accident. I know the pandemic played a factor in it, but I think it's also the sense of tribalism, to call it uh, by a word that's also not very very popular, but to, to create groups and subgroups that don't see eye to eye. And it it's not healthy. So I think go back to not even basics, but just like education and leave everything else out. I... <laughs> I am an immigrant myself, um, and uh, I have always felt that multiculturalism is a failed experiment because it celebrates what sets us apart instead of what brings us together. And one of my bigger issues with this whole idea of diversity, which is great, you know, we accept diversity, we push diversity, we support diversity so long as it's not diversity of thought because the moment that somebody comes along with an idea that is not identical to mine, they are immediately labeled as haters, bigots, everything else that you can label them. But, you know, here is the issue, though. Where do we take our kids to get a proper education? Because that's not happening right now. Uh, I I have three kids in university, and uh, I know what university has done to a couple of them already. And uh, it's pretty scary. I I'm in the process of 
<laughs> this is going to sound funny of making more babies, but, you know, I will have more children. And uh, I, I can tell you one thing. I will not put them in the traditional school system. I don't like where it's going. I don't like what I see. And I don't agree with a lot of the stuff that's being pushed forward. But also, if I am sending them to school uh, from an academic standpoint, they are declining so rapidly that I don't think that we are getting out of the school system what we were supposed to be getting in the first place. So, you know, we're going to take a very short break, uh, Tasha, here. And on the other side of the break, I want to explore with you what are the options, because that is the scary part. So please don't go anywhere. Folks, the show is brought to you by Oakville Nissan and Oakville Infinity. Here it is, the Greg Carrasco show that's discussing the, the tough topics, the things that a lot of people don't want to talk about on air because you might get yourself into trouble. And I'm okay saying I don't know. Let's take a short break. We'll be right back. Hey, hey, what's up, Toronto? When the boogeyman goes to sleep, he checks under his bed for me. Ken Shamrock here, and you're listening to The Greg Carrasco Show. Hello, Toronto. Hey, Jerry Springer here. You know, I've met some pretty messed up people in my life, but I got to tell you, this guy takes the cake. You're listening to The Greg Carrasco Show. And we're back. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Greg Carrasco Show. The phone lines are open. 289-275-9600 is the phone number. 289-275-9600 is the phone number. With me is Tasha Carradine. She wrote an article on the National Post here discussing the one million march with parents protesting the current curriculum in the exposure to explicit sexual content to children that may not be prepared to understand what they're listening from authority figures. Tasha, what, what are the choices? What, what can parents do? Because like you, I don't support a religion-based school system. I think that having to school boards uh, you know is <laughs> it's a waste of taxpayers money i mean from I mean, strictly from an economic standpoint i mean you don't want to have two governments you know if you will uh is it's a waste of money but what are the choices that parents have these days to provide their children an education that aligns with their line of thinking well it's, it's very tough greg to your point um and many parents don't have the means to afford private education. Uh, so if you're in the public system, you get what the public system gives you. If you don't like it, uh, you try and change it and you beat your head against a wall essentially and it doesn't happen. Um, so I don't know what the choices are. Uh, they, and let's, let's be clear too, um, just because the school is a private school, even if they are not a confessional uh, or a religious-based school. Um, yeah, I know of schools where the kids in the grade school, a private girls' school, I won't name it, they ask them what their pronouns are on their first day, like elementary school students. And I don't think that's necessary. That's I really, again, I, 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 well, 
it, it's in high school, in the public high school, they will as well in Toronto and TDSB. Um, you know, they get asked right away in every class, what's your pronoun? How do you want to be addressed? Um, again, it's, it's constantly emphasizing an issue that for most kids isn't an issue. And this is, this is the thing. For some kids, it will be an issue. And that's fine. When it is an issue, address it. But asking every kid to make it an issue in their daily life and to be con- so concerned about it, uh, you know, is, is, I think, is overkill. And it's overlaying an issue. Kids have enough to worry about in school, regardless of this, of this stuff, um, overlaying another issue for them to think about. Again, another division between kids of different genders or gender identities or, or anything else. So I don't know where parents go. To your point, um, I was thinking maybe we should open a school that all it does is teach and doesn't 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 talk about any of the, any of the social issues um, in the way that they are right now. And you probably have a lot of takers, but it, but it, you, you'd have to pay for that. In Ontario, there is no subsidy either. Um, in on in Quebec, private schools do get a base funding as public schools do, and parents basically top it up. They pay more, mm-hmm. but they do get a base amount, so it's, it's less expensive. And you have more private schools in Quebec, I think, than any other province in the country, if I'm not mistaken, because of that. But in Ontario, it is prohibited. So I don't know what the answer is. I think the answer really is only is to say that we have to change the public school system and we have to bring it back to what it was intended to do, which is a way to educate kids for their future, for whatever they want to do, whether it's university, whether it's a trade, whether it's, um, you know, becoming an artist, whatever it is, right? Um, that that is the, the goal is to, is to help them make their way professionally in the world. And the rest of what they do is up to them. And let's also not leave the parents out of it. This is the other piece is that I think telling kids to keep secrets from parents is a bad idea. And some parents will not be accepting. It's true. If their child is gay, if their child is trans, they will not be accepting of it. But you don't know that until you talk with them. And I think that there are ways to broach the subject sensitively. If a teacher is made aware, you know, if a teacher is made aware of any issue that involves the child's well-being, the parents can be brought in to the, you know, the principal's office and you talk as a group. It's not like you send a letter home saying like Kathleen Wynn said, send a letter home. Your child wants to be called they. What well, you wouldn't do that. That's idiotic. Of course not. But there are ways of approaching these issues with sensitivity. And like you said earlier, instead of that, we have this sort of black and white division that's you are either a transphobe or you are a fan of gay story time, as I wrote, or, or, or drag story time. Like that is, that's the, the divide. And it's, it's so much, there's so many shades of gray in between that everyone's ignoring in this, in this conversation. I feel like in schools, like teachers and principals are trying to make a safe space for children, but overstepping the parents' bound um, boundaries. You know, parents are the ones that should be educating their child about, you know, the talk about the sex or, you know, uh, whether they want to be referred as a different um, pronoun. That is a conversation parents should be having. But if a child is uncomfortable to have that conversation, like like you said, with their parent, then yes, oh, have a safe place. Uh, safe place but the, in school. That, then, then that becomes a family issue. The it, school, the school system should not get involved in, in family affairs. But some kids are old, they're genuinely scared that their parents will not accept it, like Tasha has said. But I feel like because of this conversation that's happening in schools, there the teachers and the school system is overstepping of what they need to do as teachers, as providing education to the kids. I I think that. Well, <laughs> go ahead, Tasha. Yeah, no, I was I, I I agree. I think that 
And I think this is part of the issue, too, is that right now it's, it's become harder to teach kids mm-hmm. because there are so many things competing for their attention. And chiefly, I would say social media is a big one. And Quebec, um, I believe, just made a rule that you can't have any phones in class. They, they take them away, literally. You do not have one. And I think that, you know, we we might say, oh, well, that's a lot. But no, um, you know, my daughter, like I said, started high school and she told me that in her class, I said, well, how is it? Because the classes are bigger than what she's used to. They sometimes have 30 children in them. And she goes, well, she goes, half of them are on their phones mm-hmm. watching TikTok in class. And the teacher says nothing. And they're not causing any trouble, but they're not paying attention. So this is the issue, too, is that there's a whole other dynamic at play um, that kids are tuning out. They're being distracted by other things. So I think that there's a sense that in schools, oh, we have to keep, we have to be hip, we have to keep the times, and we have to, you know, we have to engage them in things. What's going to engage them? I guess reading and writing and math is too boring to engage them. So let's, let's talk about other stuff. Let's, you know, this is the thing that education's become, it's so broad now in terms of what people are trying to do. It's very scattershot. It's like a government that tries to do too much as well. Mm-hmm. Right, we're trying to do everything, so you do nothing well because you don't focus on anything. So, um, and I think that we need to to focus more. I think with the whole technology conversation that's happening right now is that even I remember when my niece and nephew were in school, he was in grade one. This was a couple of years ago. The teacher was like, "Oh, he needs an iPad." He needs this. He needs that. We're like, mm-hmm. "Why does he need that? Why can't he write?" And if you look at the kids. The way they write now, mm-hmm. if if you look at a 22-year-old writing something or even a 25-year-old, their their writing looks like as if it's like a, you know, a, a young six-year-old is writing. Their cursive, there is no right. cursive writing. Yeah, I remember, how, yeah, I remember writing in cursive <laughs> when I was little. Have you ever seen a 20-year-old write a check? Oh, my God. They don't even know what a check is. Because <laughs> <laughs> everything is e-transfer now. <laughs> you know, Tasha, the, the school system is failing us. The school system is failing us. You have a bunch of kids that just get pushed through the grades, whether they meet the standards or not. Our academic, uh, uh, you know, levels have declined in rapidly. And then we have a bunch of kids that are so self-centered and, and narcissistic in their approach and their views to the world that the world relates only as it pertains to them and nothing else. And the world out there is tough. It's not that simple. Nobody cares about their feelings. And mm-hmm. here is the problem. The school system has become about feelings. And uh, I, the, the truth is that in the moment that you go into the real world, you're losing the, discipline, you're losing education, you're you're losing just general day-to-day skills because of the softness that our school system has become. I remember my teacher pulling me on the side during lunch break saying, fix your tie tuck in your shirt. I know how to tie a tie. They were nice to you, man. <laughs> this is, you know, in the in, in Chile, in Chile, Santiago, Chile, in uh-huh. the 70s, you got the shots by oh. the teacher, man. And then, if you, if your parents knew mm-hmm. that your teacher gave you a couple of shots, you would get some more because you were misbehaving. That was like India, because I went to school in India, too. I swear to God, I did not know how to... I was really bad in this one class, and my teacher used to make me stand outside. English? No, Hindi. <laughs> Haha, <laughs> very funny. But yeah, like the, the system in India was even worse than here. Oh, but yeah. there again, we're losing discipline, we're losing education, we're losing the you know the day-to-day skills that our kids need in order to survive in the real world. But what are your pronouns? That's more important. That's not important. You know, Tasha, all I can say to you is this, that the whole notion of don't trouble trouble until trouble troubles you. It seems like we are introducing kids into 
complex issues that do not need to be exposed until their teen years, until they start trying to define who they are as, as, as you know, as adolescents. You know, for, for most part of my early years, I, I was a ninja. <laughs> <laughs> now I own martial arts schools. <laughs> what are your pronouns? Well, it, you know what, Greg? It's it's it's. You're right, and I think that one of the issues too is that children do go through it. It's I mean, they're children, right? So they will go through phases of all sorts of things, believing all sorts of things, or thinking all sorts of things. And some kids, yes. Um, if you talk to transgender adults. Some kids absolutely, from a very early age, feel that they have they're born they're born in the wrong body. They don't identify with their gender. They really fundamentally, it's it's something that's long standing, and that is very different than kids who go to school and all of a sudden, um, you know, at the age of twelve, decide, oh gee, I must be a boy or I must be a girl. It, it, and this is this is a phenomenon a lot of people are observing, especially with girls. Girls more than boys, to be honest, actually are are evincing this. And I do think, and research is starting to show this, there's a cultural element there as well. Um, you know, the sexualization of girls in our culture is extreme, right? Younger and younger, like you said, they're exposed to all sorts of horrible things, mostly on the internet, frankly, oh, yeah. where, where they are running around unsupervised. Again, phones, right? The parents let them run around unsupervised on the internet. They won't let them go outside to play, but hey, you can go and see any website you want. Um, this, this, of course, for a developing girl is very stressful. And just the changes that they go through, some reject them and say, like, I don't want to grow up. I don't want to be the object of attention. I, so maybe if, I, if I'm more masculine, I won't have that. And there is a piece around that. It is something that's not very much discussed. Um, but if you're in the autism community, you will know because a lot of these girls are on the autism spectrum. And that is something that they go through as, as a developmental phase. It doesn't mean they're trans. It doesn't mean you need to start exploring, you know, trans therapies or anything else. No, it means that they need to talk through this stuff and it will likely pass. And I think that it is something that, um, you know, for some kids it may not, but for many kids it does. Um, and it is something that they have to explore as individuals, but not feel pressured and feel pressured to go on a path that will go in a direction that maybe then they feel they can't stop. Because it's like, you know, if you find a peer group, if you then deviate, it's very hard to you know to do to that. To get out, yeah, it's very difficult to, to get out. Yeah. With your friends, yeah. Oh yeah. It's like anything, and the kids could be doing anything, and it's like I can't leave that group if I start to say, oh, maybe I'm not trans. Then all of a sudden, I lose my new friends. So it's you know again, it's loading kids with a lot of stuff that they don't need to be loaded. Help the kids who need help, a hundred percent. But you don't need to make this a focus in a curriculum that's already not teaching them basic education. Uh, you know, we have a phone call here. Who do we have on the line, uh, and uh, what do they want to talk about? Is it Daniel, da School's Choices. Yes. Uh, hey, Daniel, thank you for calling the Carrasco Show, uh, you know, and joining the conversation. What's on your mind this morning? Okay. Uh, well, education is provincial uh, jurisdiction, and we have a conservative government, and if anybody's going to help, it's got to be the conservative government here in order to uh, turn this thing around. Um, I'm thinking that there should be school choice, that our that our money that we're paying for education should follow the student. So we can have a, you know, we may go to a school that's a couple of miles away from our home, or we may go to a school that's, you know, that's even, even further, but we'll at least the parents have a school choice. And that way we'll have competition between schools, and we'll 
uh, we may resolve the problem this way. Uh, you know, that's a very interesting concept, and thank you, thank you, Daniel, for that phone call. What are your thoughts on that, Tasha? I think that the money should follow the student, and the money should also follow the patients, because the same principle is 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 applied to uh, to hospitals. But as it pertains to the conversation that we're having right now, what do you think of that? That the money follows the students, and then perhaps the schools that are farther away from that sort of ideology are going to start getting more business. But that's private schools. No, 100%. I think that, it, look, school choice is something that's been implemented in Alberta. It's implemented in some jurisdictions in the United States. It's been discussed in Ontario, but never fully explored. And I think partly because, like I said, there's this division, this constitutional entrenchment of the Catholic school board in our province that has caused political headaches for conservatives, if you remember. <laughs> When John Tory tried to take that on, uh, he lost an election. So people don't want to go there. It's the third rail. But I totally agree with the caller because school choice ultimately does give parents that option. And it is to say, well, this is education I think my child would benefit from. This is where I want to put them. And it might not be their home school. It might be a public school in a different part of the city. It might yeah. be a magnet school. It might be, yeah, anything. Um, but just to say that the, the government is doing some things. Um, in fact, uh, a note was sent out by the Ministry um, of Education, actually from the TDSB, but because of the directive of the Ministry of Education, professional activity days, beginning this year, boards will now be required to share information about these days, and they have to focus on the priority areas of literacy, mathematics, curriculum implementation, and student well-being, um, school safety, and violence prevention. So the, the ministry now, of course, you can define those in different ways, but the ministry is trying to, 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 to rein in school boards from PA days where the teachers, instead of spending time, like, you know, how do I better teach math to the kids, will spend time on how do we better discuss pronouns in the classroom? Like, this, that's stuff that does go on. So there's an attempt to rein it back. But like I said, the boards have a lot of say. Province can set a curriculum, but the boards, at the end of the day, um, you know, they manage situations like the teacher in Halton, for example, uh, with the, the big boobs and, and all this stuff. Like, they manage those situations, and they're not managing them the way the parents really want them to manage. You know, uh, we're going to take another short break. And uh, on the other side, I, I, I want I want us to explore, uh, you know, within the, the time limits that we have, of our conclusions. You know, what what do we do? Where do we go? Uh, who do we look up to in order for us to get some answers in relation to this very complex issue that is presenting, you know, parents across the country? Folks, the show is brought to you by Oakville Nissan and Oakville Infinity. Stay tuned. We're having fun. Let's take a short break. We'll be right back. Tucker here, and if you're hearing the sound of my voice, it's too late to escape. You're listening to The Greg Carrasco Show. My dad told me Saturday mornings used to be for watching cartoons, and now we have to listen to this guy? My name's Lily, and you're listening to The Greg Carrasco Show!
You're listening to the Greg Carrasco Show this glorious Saturday morning. And with me, Tasha Kieran. And you know, I, I love talking to you, Tasha. This is a good conversation. I appreciate your you. nimbleness and the ability to just shift in, you know, the, the, the aspect of the topic that we're discussing. You know, as we were on break, I was thinking that because of, you know, my friends and some of the businesses that I have, I have been exposed to a very, very large number of parents who do homeschooling. And uh, that seems to be coming a more prevalent uh, method of education, uh, at least here in Southern Ontario. In, since since I landed in Canada, I, I never really heard of it as much as I have over the last, I would say, maybe 15 years or so. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Um, well, it's homeschooling is a tough slog. I know people who did it during the pandemic um, because they had no choice. <laughs> Uh, and where uh, they felt they just didn't want their kids in, in school, um, you know, for a variety of reasons, someone's sick of a family, whatever, but they, it's hard. It's a hard thing. It's not for everybody. I think it's really, you know, people who do that, it's a great commitment. Um, and it's, it's not one that is bookable in a, in a large scale. Some people do it also for personal reasons, for whether it's, they just like disagree with the school system or they want their kids taught a certain way. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I respect people's rights to have any kind of schooling they want, um, as long as the schooling does prepare their kids, like I said, for the goals of education, which is to have a viable future for that child. And I'm talking there a professional future in the sense that that child will be able to make their way in the world, uh, will, will have the skills and the knowledge and the abilities to do something with their life. And I think that is, again, the focus of education isn't about who are you and what are you and the sort of like you said, almost narcissistic obsession we have with, you know, what is our identity? It's what can you do? What are you able to do? What accomplishments can you give to the rest of the world and to yourself to make you feel like you have that self-esteem? You know, kids who achieve things, will that develops self-esteem. So encourage them. And in a public school system, I think one of the goals is, of course, to equalize that opportunity because not every kid comes from a household that can afford advantages, whether it's lessons or even sometimes a nutritious breakfast. And the public school system has that opportunity to raise the bar and to, to compensate for things kids may not get at home. But again, the goal is to encourage them to achieve, to give them a level playing field, not a quality of outcome, but a quality of opportunity to achieve whatever it is they can. Now, you know, that that's one of the advantages of public education, which it has veered away from, I feel, in this whole discussion that we've been having. Um, homeschooling is, again, it's like it's an option, but for most people, and especially parents who work or kids who come from, from disadvantaged backgrounds, it's not an option because the parents have to, to earn a living. They can't be there to school their child at home. Yeah, it, it, it is a, I guess because I live in Oakville, that is a little bit more of a, a possibility to have homeschooled children. But uh, this is what I can tell you from my own personal observation, that I will not be sending my kids to public to the public school system. I don't like where it's going. I don't like what's doing. I don't like the outcome. Uh, and I also disagree with the fact that parents are not being consulted in what they feel is okay, what they think is th the children should be exposed to. But like you said in your article, if you're not consulting the parents, 
If you are going against the creators of all these children that you claim to have the best interest of, and you don't take their parents' ideas into consideration, you're going to have a clash of ideas. And I'm not surprised that this is happening. And I'm not surprised that this is not becoming a bigger thing across the country. There are especially religious communities. And look, uh, we, we, we like inclusion and diversity, right? So we accept all religions. No? So why don't we accept the fact that some people are not okay with having this sexual discussion with their children at such a young age? There is an incredible, incredible, uh, amount of cynicism and contradiction in what the school system is doing and, and it's, it's seeping through. I mean, this protest will not stop. Do you see an end to this in the near future? Um, I don't. I think that it's, it's a conversation that, well, we have to have a conversation as opposed to being relegated to protest. And I think until that happens, you're going to see continued protest because the parents do feel excluded from the conversation. Now, the, like I said, public education to me should be non-confessional. It should it should be a broad and non-denominational space for kids to learn and learn competencies. Um, people who do bring religious views into it, and this is this is the irony. You're absolutely right. We talk about diversity and we talk about uh, Islamophobia and we talk about combating prejudice against different uh, groups and new Canadians, etc. Yet a lot of the people involved in this do hail from the Muslim community, especially in Montreal. There was a, a lot of people and some of the organizers as well um, who come from that community. So it is a political paradox, too. It is it is a very, um, you know, it's, it's almost an explosive issue because you are now going against the wishes of a community, not the entire community, but a large part of it who say this is not reflective of our views. Now, we have to be careful there, too, because within the Muslim community, we know this in majority Muslim countries, there is a lot of prejudice oh, yeah, for sure. still against LGBTQ individuals. So you don't want to teach kids hate. See, this is the difference. There's a difference between teaching kids hate and teaching kids the kind of stuff that it, it goes beyond, you know, don't be don't be discriminatory and don't be unkind. It goes to what's your identity? That's the piece I think that parents are scratching their heads. It's like telling your child to be honest and kind and treat everyone with respect and that the Charter of Rights guarantees everyone rights, that's one thing. But to say you may be something you don't think you are, that's, I think, the line across that parents go, well, wait a minute, that really, you know, whether you're Muslim, whether you're not, um, it, it just, it, it doesn't, it, it's not constructive. It's not helpful. It's not educational. Um, and it's not appro- It's not age appropriate. So that's, that's the issue I think we can find common ground on. Because I do think that if you start going down the road of, well, you know, um, we have to we have to respect the views of every single community uh, in their entirety. You will end up with a problem because of course. there are some hateful views, unfortunately. So you have to tease that out again. Like I said, you find the common ground of okay, what does everyone agree on? And I think there is common ground to find, but no one's talking about it, so we can't find it. Yeah, that that is a bit of a problem, and you know, I I think that ultimately it comes down to the fact that you know racism. Homophobia are irrational ideas. You cannot legislate against stupidity. You know, there is no room for hate in schools. I support that 100%. However, the schools should not be getting involved in anything other than just academics. And that is where I draw my line. But Tasha, what a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for joining the Carrasco Show. Where can people find you and, and read your stuff? 
Uh, well, they can find me in a lot of places. They can find me at the National Post. I write there uh, once or twice a week. Um, I write on my Substack as well every weekend. I have a post on Substack, um, Tasha Karen at sub- Substack.com. I think if you just Google it, you'll find it. And I also write for G Zero, which is an American publication, um, and they do international news. So I write there every Monday. So busy writing. You can find me lots of places. Hope you're reading. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the show with me. And uh, you have an open invitation. Whenever uh, you have something important that you want to talk to uh, the world about, just come on the show and uh, we'll chat for an hour. Thanks so much, Greg. Thank you, Tasha. With that, we are going to take another short break. Uh, I need to, uh, you know, recollect my thoughts on this. And uh, we have the open lines, 289-275-9600. You have something to say? You agree? You disagree? You want to fight me? Call me. 289-275-9600 is the phone number. The show is brought to you by Oakville Nissan and Oakville Infinity. Before you make any car buying decisions, you need to come and see us. A place is good. We won't let you down. Let's take a short break. We'll be right back. What's up, guys? This is Vito Belfer. And you are listening to one of the toughest guys on air. Greg Carrasco Show, man. Congratulations on your show. I wish you all the best. Toronto, stay safe out there. God bless you, man. This is Vito Bell for the Phenom. Ready to strike. Let's go. It is time for Greg Carrasco. Kick it. Whoa, it's the Greg Carrasco Show. Get this party on the road. How fast can this right go? I'm the instrument of joy And to keep the good times rolling I'm the boy, I'm the boy You know the world could be our oyster If you just put your trust in me Cause we'll keep the good times rolling Wait and see, wait and see Who selected this song? Man? It was a terrible song. You probably did. You're the one who sent us the list. I know. I have to put Canadian content in here. <laughs> what do you want? <laughs> I'm running out of songs. <laughs> I'm not saying that all Canadian music is bad, but what I'm saying is that you know quality <laughs> is ultimately the the uh, the ultimate equalizer. Well, as a Scarborough boy, I really like the bare naked ladies one you uh, played earlier. Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> Where are they now? 
Oh, they're still they're, they're, they're still on. They, they're, they're still touring and everything. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah, all the kids from the '80s are listening to them. It's great. You know, <laughs> I, I got one of uh, one of the listeners sending me um, an interesting text. Uh, she says, a big issue at hand is that in a matter of education, we see ideological mobilization from the major public service unions that may not be reflective of the taxpayers and parents. It would be interesting to suggest the public consultation on major issues of curriculum meet a certain threshold before the implementation. At current, most public consultation in Ontario involve less than 2,000 people randomly selected to represent a broad spectrum of Ontarians. I can tell you that the educational focus of North Bay, Ontario, is not the same as Toronto, nor it should be. But it's important to consider that the blanket policy is not the best way forward. Like suggested, you know, charter schools, educational choice should be pushed forward. But also we need to start introducing electoral proposition. We go to the polls every two to three years for federal, provincial and local elections. What would be the harm in attaching policy proposals to the process? That's not to say that a strictly democratic approach is the best, but resolutions need to be made that benefit the majority. And then the efforts made to help the outcomes of those who may have a perceived disadvantage. I agree with that 100%. I don't think that we have a choice. Why are you smiling? No, I'm not. You were not listening. That's why. (laughs) See, this is what happens when... (laughs) Wow, <laughs> I, I, I'm just gonna I move on. With, out. You, yeah, she's sewn right out, man. <laughs> sewn right out. Who do we have on the line? Uh, somebody's calling. We have Dave on the line. Dave, thank you for calling the Carrasco Show. How can I make your life better this morning? Talk to me. Good morning, Greg. How are you? Oh, you know, my brain hurts. That's for sure. Uh, you know, there is <laughs> a, you know, some pretty interesting topics of conversation this morning. And, you know, look, I, uh, I've i always said it here on the show that I'm not married to my ideas. Um, I'm My my ideas will change. My mind will change. My opinions will certainly change. Uh, but in order for that to happen, I need to have more conversations. I think it's important for us to, to learn a little bit more from all sides of, of a debate. And I think that that's what we're doing this morning. But uh, uh, what's on your mind? Oh, nothing. I just wanted to uh, to talk to you um, about kind of everything that you you guys talk about and do, and from everything to like the leadership and of the country, the leadership of our towns, and and you know, like I don't understand how come there's so few people that don't understand what what is going on in our society right now. What is going on because in our society news, right like, now? Well, I'm just saying, like, the news that we get here in Canada and, you know what I mean? You're not you're not getting the full width of it. And these people just watch the newscasts that are up here and don't open their mind and look for other things. It's it's just shocking to me, like, like how many people actually just, just do that, you know? Like, like you say, question everything, right? So... The so omnibus dubitandum. There you go. Everybody yeah. should learn that. The omnibus dubitandum. You know, question everything, Jyoti. Even question how much sleep you got last <laughs> night because you're completely distracted. You see, I have a co-host today, uh, David, that is not so not engaged that she's just yawning so widely that it creates a vacuum inside the studio here that even my cup is being moved that direction. 
but uh, you know, look, yeah. I think a lot of people just you know go along with whatever is happening just to get along because it's easier to just not say anything and just keep on going because they're fr- they they haven't really looked into it and then. And they know that once they do, they're going to have the opposite opinion about it, and then they're going to be hated on. You know what, Dave? I I read something last week uh, that said the following, that it's a lot easier to deceive someone than it is to convince them that they have been deceived. So there was a lot of people that have believed the nonsense that has been spewed out by the government and the media, and then they're digging their heels in because to say, I was wrong, requires a tremendous amount of, uh, you know, I guess intellectual honesty, and not many people have that. Why? Because, you know, it, it, it opens the possibility that they were wrong, and nobody wants to be wrong. Nobody yeah. wants to be wrong. And but, but, like, go on. but like you said, you changed your mind. You know what I mean? You, you looked at one thing one way before, and now you changed your mind and said, no, this is not right. This is the way... It kind of should be right now. But look at it. I mean, and you know, if you, if I can interrupt you for one second, I think that you know, changing your mind is vilified by the media. You know, you see it in politicians. They call them flip floppers. You know, you used to be on this side of the uh, equation. Now you're on this side of the equation. You know, what's wrong with changing your mind? I change as a person every day. So if if I feel a certain way towards a topic, and then after more and more and more conversations, this starts making sense. You know, let me give you another ex- an example that. It, is apropos in relation to go, to the uh, the previous uh, guest that I had uh, when my sister uh, decided to homeschool my niece about eleven years ago, I thought she was insane, mm-hmm. and I mean that. It's like, you know, what about socialization? <laughs> what about uh, the exposure to the curriculum? What about, uh, you know, just interacting with other children? Uh, you know, this kid is going to be, you know, and so on and so on. I had a, a, an array of uh, of uh, of thoughts in relation to that, but as as I have seen the progression of her decision, and I've seen the incredibly articulate and together, you know that you know my niece is one of the brightest kids that I have ever met, you know bilingual without ever going to take language school, you know language at a, a at a school, um, you know she started her first business at the age of nine, and so on and so on and so on. I'm thinking. Mm, maybe this needs to be relooked at. <laughs> maybe, maybe yeah. I was wrong. Maybe the socialization that my niece needed was strictly coming from her parental exposure the way that it used to be. You know, just remember that uh, the educational system that we have now is, you know, is part and parcel by the Industrial Revolution at the end of the 1800s. You know, we we started to take kids away from parents simply just to create better workers. In fact, the school hours reflect almost a workday. So now we condition our children to, to be good workers and producers, to not have a mind of their own because that is dangerous. You see what I'm saying? Yep, yep, exactly. And what it all goes down to, I don't know if you're aware of that. Uh, there was a doc- documentary done uh, by an independent uh, guy in, out of New York or something, and it's called The Great Awakening. I don't know if you've ever watched that that show. Uh, but he kind of no, goes, he's a totally independent guy. He's not affiliated with anybody. Okay, but look, look that up and have a have a listen to it because 
I couldn't understand all this ESG stuff and the score systems and and all that, and that kind of explains it to everybody, mm-hmm. like what they're what they're trying to do. You know what I mean? Well, I'll you know I'll, I'll probably have a watch. I don't I don't watch a lot of TV these days. Listen, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, give it two minutes, you won't shut it off. Thank you so much for the phone call, brother. I really appreciate your your thoughts on this. Yeah, thank, thank you, you too, Greg. And I I want to. Oh, sorry. My producer just cut oh, you I off did. like s- savagely. You cut him I'm off. Sorry, you were Dave. savage. Sorry, David. Wasn't he? <laughs> That's because. Oh, oh, there he is. Yeah, there you are. What were you gonna say? Yeah, I was just gonna say I just went to carnivore like two months ago. Yeah, and lost thirty pounds in like two months. Oh wow! Whoa. You see, you, good job. You kind of, I was kind of doing it anyway, but there's a couple good guys on YouTube and stuff that can get you through the steps and stuff like that. So. So 30 pounds in two months for a 55-year-old guy, not too bad. Stay strong, my friend. Stay strong. Thank you. Uh, we need a jiu-jitsu studio in Hamilton, buddy. Uh, you know, we uh, I'm opening one up in Burlington, uh, very, very close to Hamilton, and there is another one coming up in Milton. So, you know, the uh, the schools are growing. There will be four studios in, 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 in before the end of the year, as far as I understand. So, you know, just stay tuned, brother. Thank you. Thank Have a good you. day, Greg. Wow. What an interesting morning we've had. We had a lot. Yes. Why Why are you so distracted this morning? I need to understand that. I don't that. know. I honestly don't know. <laughs> yeah. Is everything okay? Yeah. You know, you, you know we, we can have an intervention here with her. Like, can we have a nap time? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nap time. <laughs> wow. And we haven't even drank this morning. We usually are half in the bag by by eight thirty. But you make us sound like alcohols. Good job. Yes, that's uh, that's you. That's what we drink. I only drink when you're here. <laughs> oh damn! <laughs> <laughs> I makes supply it, the booze. It, it makes it easier. <laughs> you know, it makes it easier to withstand your oh. lashes. You know, you are constantly <laughs> calling me out. That's great. I was good today. Imagine married, being married to that. That's, oh man, I, I sympathize with your husband. Man. You you know, he's, 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 uh, he's, how do you uh, deal with her? How, how? How? I, I, you know, I only have her here for, you know, one show every three months that she decides to show up, and then I have to put up with this. <laughs> Maybe this is why my my son is not listening to me either. I'm like yelling his name out three, four times. I think the last time, the last call I make him, that's when he'll turn around. Well, that's uh, so. You are the only common denominator of all these men in your life that don't listen to you. I know, right? I know. So at some point, we need to take an introspective look and say, you know, what am what am I doing wrong? No, I'm doing everything right. Of course, <laughs> of, co- of course. Wow! Wow! What are the men doing in my life that are, everything is wrong? So you know, I, I mentioned to you this uh, when I first saw you this morning that you uh, that you look like you've lost a pile of weight, and yes. you say that you you haven't. No, maybe I did. I don't know. And what is your exercise routine these days? Right now, I have been trying really hard to get into back into the gym, but it's been hard. But I think I've been eating cleaner. That's what it is. You see, anybody that eats rice and bread and pasta that says I'm eating cleaner is oh, not, I is not e- true. I haven't touched any of that. Really? Yeah. But, you know, that is like the staple of Indian food. Dude, it's so bad. Indian food, like... Oh, it's amazing. It's, it's so amazing. good. Yeah, it's so amazing. My but mom's back butter from India. Chicken. And mm, I'm butter pretty chicken. Sure. Mm, butter yeah. chicken. <laughs> Basmati rice. What do, you call that? what do you call that bread? Like with oil Not? and... 
Oh, yeah. So you haven't ask. had my mom's That's aloo not, parathe. Oh, no. It's my mouth is watering too. It's literally roti stuffed with I'm, potatoes. I'm fat just thinking about it. It's so bad. It's like she knows that aloo paranta is the way to get through what, How do you say that? Aloo paranta? Aloo paranta. Wow, look at that. Learning words. Yeah. I know a few words in uh, in your language. Yeah, let me guess. They're all uh, swear words? No, actually. Uh, I, one, one is, uh, is uh, mafkaruji. Mafkaruji. Yes. Yeah, that means like I I apologize. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Firmilange. Firmilange. Like we'll meet again. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. You see? Yes. Wow. Uh, wow. What's your name? There you go. You see? Those are things Pada that i Tadanamkia. What does yeah. that mean? Now, well, that's like in a proper, mannerly, respectfully asking. Well, how, what is your name? Yeah, but I'm not respectfully or properly either. So, namkehe. Namkehe. I've always have this affinity for learning ways to communicate with people from yeah. all sorts of different places. And uh, I remember that, that you know it was uh, it was my friend Paul Walia that mm-hmm. used to work at Wichester Nissan. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was Sikh yeah. and uh, he would sit me down and just teach me stuff. I mean I haven't seen him in such a long time. I, yeah. you know really long time but uh, yeah he taught me all these things and also about those knives that you guys carry. Yeah, Kurban. Is that what they're called? They're one of the five Ks when you're baptized in Sikh. So can you tell me a little bit about that the five Ks <laughs> So the 5Ks is it's basically you wear when you are baptized in, okay. in Sikhism. And basically you're wearing the Sikh attire, which is, you know, Kirpan, which is the sword. Yeah. It's basic. The, the reason why now it's small, but back in the day it was big because, you know, you're protecting the weak and the yeah, women yeah. And, and all that. Um, it's the kara, the silver, you know, um, bracelet that you guys can all see that every, every Punjabi Sikh wears it. Um, hair. What is what is the significance of the uh, silver bracelet? I don't know. I think it's I don't know. No, I, no, I can Google no, it. No, me. it's okay. You can tell me the you can tell me the rest. It's case uh, um, your hair. You okay. shouldn't cut your hair if you're baptized. You know, just let it grow. Have you ever seen a balding Sikh man? Yeah, most of them, yeah. Really? Yeah, and they usually just wear a turban, a bug. So you, so you can't see it. No. You wear a pug. That's what we call oh, it. We don't dude. say turban. We say pug. You know, Sikh men have sick hair. And holy, when they mm-hmm. let that thing down, it's like amazing. They're all supermodels. So my brother <laughs> had uh, used to wear a pug too. Yeah. And he had long curly hair. Yeah. Like up to his hips. Like yeah. that's how long it was. So it's the kara, kes, karpan, um, kanga. What, what is the significance of not cutting your hair? It's just saying that, you know, this is the way we came. This is what God gave us, and we should protect it. We shouldn't be cutting it. We shouldn't be doing cult, dying it, all of that. But yeah. people do it. Th- does that apply to women, too, that you guys don't yeah. dye your hair or nothing? No. Women, some, you'll see women in a in a keski or a turban, yeah. and their hair is long, and they just have it in a bun and cover their head with a turban. Wow. Yeah. See, and then there's the kanga, which is a wooden uh, comb. And then there is a kachara, which is like, you know, a, just a simple garment underwear. A kachara? A kachara. <laughs> of course you would catch that. <laughs> that means spoon in Filipino. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's spoon in, uh, in Spanish as well. Yes, cuch- that's where we get it from. Kachara, yes. yeah. yeah. That's kachara. So it's a kachara? Kachara. So that's your, like, G-string or something? <laughs> no, it's actually just literally boxers. <laughs> that's all it is. It's boxers. <laughs> this is my kachara. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 
Oh my god He learned a new word today Cachara There you go Cachara That's what the raccoons Saw the other day <laughs> Wow I was chasing them <laughs> They saw his cachara uh, Maybe that's why They were so afraid <laughs> They were all hissing at me <laughs> It was a sight to be seen Lex Wow You should have seen me But you know I, I need to find a way To get rid of raccoons They are destroying My, my backyard um, Apparently they come in And they, uh, they just roll the, the sod back And eat all the grub that grows underneath mm-hmm. and uh, it, this is like a like a mandarin buffet for raccoons in the back of my house when it's all you can eat it's a raccoon party it's mm-hmm. a ra- there is a raccoon party in the back yeah I like to move it move it that's great but uh, I, I don't know what to do with these guys because they're just literally destroying brand new sod that I have in the backyard Maybe put on um, a, oh you can get this from Amazon it's like an outdoor-powered animal repeller. Yeah, it's, an, it's got an ultrasound thing, but yeah. apparently it affects the dogs, too, and then I don't want to mess up my dogs. Oh, yeah, because, you know, steroids. <laughs> Is there, like, the city <laughs> of Oakville oh, that has sort of you don't wanna, You don't want to mess up with Leo, this, this steroid-jacked-up <laughs> dog. He gets angry. Dude, he'll rip everything. The other Can day... I, please take a picture, like, a video of him getting mad and send it to oh, me? Oh, they're so... They're, he's so angry. <laughs> you let him go to the backyard, and he just loses his mind. Maybe he let li- him out when the raccoons are there. <laughs> well, they did that and they attacked a skunk the other day and that was that did not go well. Okay. Yeah, I had to keep, keep <laughs> Yeah, I had to keep him locked inside the garage for a couple of days because they got sprayed in the face with oh, a skunk. No. It's not good, man. It's not good. And with their sense of smell being as acute and awesome as it is, yeah. they smell it even more. So they were suffering, man. <laughs> Holy oh, smoke. And to get rid of this smell skunk out of my garage that took you know honestly months I still get whiffs of it yeah. from time to time when I open it it's, not, it's no, no bueno <laughs> no bueno if anybody's ever smelled uh, tear gas when you first get hit by that the tear gas smell and you feel it up and like right in your nose mm-hmm. uh, it's the same thing that happens with skunk smell who do we have on the line we have uh, Mike on the line what does he want to talk about? He wants to talk about two subjects today, about raccoons, I think, it says here. <laughs> yeah, yes. Uh, Mike, thank you for calling the Carrasco Show. And I got a problem, man. You know, I don't think that you can shoot raccoons in Oakville. <laughs> and that, that would be the easiest solution. Uh, what are your thoughts? Well, all falls work. Just spread them around your yard. The uh, raccoons, the off balls, the set the off balls. Is like the scent of death to them. Really? Put them Mo- around the perimeter of your yard. Mothballs? Mothballs? Really? Right. Absolutely. It works for my yard. <laughs> wow. Good to know. That sounded like an <laughs> evil laugh, dude. <laughs> I love it. Just the smell of mothballs. Many, many critters. Many, many critters. Is, you know what I mean? They, they just stay away. It, it does work. Okay, good it to know. It does work. All right. You know what? I, maybe, um, you're, maybe, maybe you're leaving some of those dishes out there food <laughs> oh no 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 no, no. no but dude they have wrecked my yard i don't know what to do and uh you know uh, honestly yeah. i thought about just buying a pellet gun and just you know get a, a sniper scope <laughs> with infrared vision and just wait at nighttime with a camel outfit on my deck i, I thought about it man i go full-on ramble <laughs> those guys i can imagine you that. can picture that too <laughs> See Greg going. <laughs> I'm going to be telling your fans to record that. <laughs> you know, you guys no, think if, you guys think I'm joking. I'm not. I know. You, no, <laughs> if you're brave enough, 
you're brave enough to crush them up because they are they do smell putrid and then just spread it all over your lawn it really does work because once they get this once they get thrown off from that scent the chances of them coming back you may have to do it a few times the, the, the mothballs right get thrown off that scent. Mothballs. Okay, I'm gonna buy. I'm gonna buy kilos. Now, will the dogs eat them? Can I make a quick comment about the other two subjects that you were talking about? Today? Sure, man. Sure, go ahead. Um, as, far, as far as you know, having Tasha on, you know, I, I I couldn't agree more with everything that she said. And and you know what? Let's just put it in this context. It's just plain common sense. And I think that's what we're lo- That's what we've lost. Well, that's what many people have lost. Not me, anyways. Are you, Greg? But. Most people have lost common sense or don't have any common sense anymore when it comes to those subjects. So. Well, and uh, I... Uh, as far as the... Go ahead. You go ahead. No, the, it's, it's, they're difficult topics to navigate because you see, the moment that you disagree with any sort of uh, commentary or a normally accepted idea in relation to that, you become a bigot, you become a hater, you become, yeah. you know, and, and it's like, that's not the way that works. You know, we we don't, it's not, the world isn't black and white. We live in the gray. And yeah. uh, the, this, yeah. the solution is always in the middle, but unfortunately, there, there is no middle anymore. And what would you rather thoughts on the uh, on the first topic of the day on the on the first topic you know what i i i have a seek neighbor and he's a they're a wonderful family amazing 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 family and i don't understand a lot of it because again I, i'm kind of like you i've never really done my homework yet. but you know the one the, the, i'll agree with him i think what he was telling you was about 25 30 percent of the story to keep within their narrative but there's other factors that he didn't even touch upon and again that region has been so disputed between pakistan and india for centuries that was never touched upon there's just so many intricate parts that weren't included in that conversation you know what i encourage you to bring somebody else on you know to give a different perspective oh we will next saturday yeah you know like because and and i'm not knocking the seats you know but we're also forgetting you know i always terrorists is that you know, the Air India bombing, you know, like the, the bombings in Mumbai, those are, the, you know, this, this was done by these a lot of these guys that are part of that group as well. And we can't forget those either. Well, I, so, again... I'm sorry, correction, the, Dave. The bombing that happened in Bombay wasn't anything close to the Sikhs. It was, a, with, it was another group. Uh, but, you know, oh, you okay. know yeah, say, saying that, I, you know, look, you... you 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 bring you know some additional aspect to that conversation that we will most definitely explore in 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 future shows because I think that we all need to be part of that conversation. But thank you so much for calling the show, man, and for the suggestion of the mothballs. I I really appreciate it. Yeah. One more quick comment. Yeah. One more quick comment. As far as Trudeau and and his buddy Jack meets, okay, there's many backdoor avenues that they could have gone to work with the Indian government rather than standing in Parliament where he's protected and, 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 and babble with this because all he's after with regards to this is, is votes. And that's I, his number one priority. I, I, I got to say, and I'm sorry. <laughs> Thank you so much for the comment, man. I really appreciate it. You you shake your head. Yeah, man. I don't agree with that comment that he just made. Yeah, why not? Because, you know, we've been, we've been making, not we, as a, as a member of being a Sikh, following the Sikh faith, this has been happening like he, what he said. It's been happening for 
ages. Like if we were to go back in history and we were to talk about this, the amount of incidents that have happened, it just happens to be that this assassination that took place on Canada land, that the government decided to talk about it. Last year, another Sikh member from Gurdwara was also assassinated. No one talked about it about that. There's many other cases that have been dis- that you know that happened in on Canada soil, but the media didn't get catch that, or the government didn't catch that. I get it. Not everybody's a fan of Trudeau, but the fact that he stood up and spoke about it, and the fact that this was investigated and it's coming, it's bringing some light to it. It's a lot for us. And and I I don't disagree with you on this. I mean, if. The- <laughs> If these people are Canadians and they're being murdered here in Canada, we need, we need to talk about it. Yeah. I, I agree with you 100%. If, it needs to be brought to light. It's very simple. However, however, I think that there will be far-reaching repercussions that we may not like. Of course there will be. And, uh, and that's something that I don't think that they have calculated properly. But, you know, it's, it's a longer conversation. Mm-hmm. And we do need to take a short break because we have another guest coming on the show. And, um, you know, speaking of our um, government, they are spending a lot of our money financing multinational corporations at the taxpayer expense. Uh, Stay tuned, and I'll tell you where. The show is brought to you by Oakville Nissan and Oakville Infinity. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Sean Avery, I love getting under people's skin, but not as much as this guy. You're listening to the Greg Carrasco Show. Hi, everybody. This is Haley Wickenheiser, and you're listening to the Greg Carrasco Show. Why are you making fun of my son choices? That's a good song. Well, it started... Look at this. Differently. Oh, yeah. Here we go. It's okay. You know, there's an intro to every song. <laughs> That's what it's I thought the, it sounded like. I was like, great. It's the preamble, you know? It's the introduction. It's to catch your attention. It's to give you something so bad at the beginning and then it's like, oh, man, that song isn't that bad after all. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, talking about the government, talking about decisions, talking about the financial illiteracy of the liberal government is is, is one of my favorite pastimes. Uh, I have a special guest today, Matthew Lau. He uh, he works for the Financial Post. He's a columnist there, and uh, he's also a scholar for the Fraser Institute. Uh, you wrote an article, Matthew. Thank you for joining the Carrasco Show this morning. And, uh, you, know, you know, thank you for taking the time on your weekend to discuss uh, how amazing of the decisions that uh, the liberal government keeps uh, making in order to support multinational corporations that cost nothing more than billions of dollars to Canadian taxpayers. I mean, what drove you to write this article, Matthew? Yes, well, thanks for having me, Greg. And... Um uh, we need to point out off the top that uh, it's not only the federal government that is uh, wasting our money. The uh, 
the Ontario government uh, also had a hand in these uh, $28 billion of uh, uh, handouts to Stellantis and Volkswagen uh, uh, promised earlier this year. Um, and uh, the federal government, for their part, they said that while this, uh, these billions of dollars and subsidies are going to create economic activity, there's going to be taxes from this economic activity, we're going to recover the money within 3.3 years. Now, the independent uh, parliamentary budget officer has just released a report saying that uh, these subsidies are going to take the government about 20 years to break even. Now, anybody who knows anything about finance, I think if you have a 20-year break-even period, that's a 20-year period in which you could get a 0% return, right, yep. just to recover your investment then you're not really breaking even. This is a, a pretty big loss, right? Um, if you're recovering your investment 20 years from now, I mean, a dollar 20 years from now is not worth anything like a dollar today. Absolutely not. Um, right, so um, if you take this parliamentary budget officer uh, report and you try to do the math on it to see, okay, 20 years to uh, have a 0% return, what is the amount of loss for that today? And the number I came up with is about 14 to $15 billion loss. And I think even that is uh, using some very conservative assumptions, and that's a pretty generous estimate. You could uh, very well make the case that the loss is going to be even higher than that. So um, the, when the industry minister uh, says that the parliamentary budget officer report demonstrates that this is a good investment, I think he just doesn't know what he's talking about. I, I guess the, the biggest question that I have is that the, the 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 excuse the government, both you know provincial and federal, used to spend this amount of money was to create economic uh, stimulus in the area. Now, for what I understand, the this this expense is going to create about ten thousand jobs. Correct. Uh, it's something like that. Now, you always have to be careful when. Um, governments claim they're creating jobs with the money, right? I mean, if, if these people, it may be that there's 10,000 people working at the plant, but if the plant didn't exist, they'd be doing something else. There's a very good case to be made that no new jobs really are being created, right? Mm, so now we're financing 10,000 new jobs that were already being uh, occupied by the by the workers somewhere else. So, but it, uh, even if it did create 10,000 new jobs on this one, Matthew. I mean, my math says that that's about $3 million per secure job. And even if you if you annualize that figure, that's uh, $150,000 per person for the next 20 years. That's insanity for a plant job. Yeah, the, the, the math is uh, absolutely horrific on this one. And I mean, the, the way I always think about government handouts, right, is if you have an economy where, because if, when the government spends money, it has to take money out of the private sector before it can spend it. And when you have individual, um, individual Canadians um, spending their money, that's going to create jobs, uh, producing goods and services that those Canadians demanded, right? Mm -hmm. When you have the government spending money, $28 billion in this case, that means all of those jobs, however many thousand it is, is being dedicated to producing uh, what the what the government decided, as opposed to what uh, Canadians actually want to spend the money on, right? 
if Canadians really wanted these electric vehicle batteries and there was the demand for these jobs, these jobs wouldn't need a subsidy, right? Well, in, uh, I don't know if you know much about my background. I have, I'm an executive in, in the automotive industry uh, for the last 20 years, and I've been in the car industry for the last 30. And uh, what I can tell you is this. The, the desires of the government to push the idea of an electric vehicle does not mirror the consumer demand. In fact, electric vehicles are accumulating in lots all over the country unsold. And uh, I, 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 I do not understand the this ideology that we are going to eliminate ICE engines by the year 2035, uh, which means 95% of all the vehicles that are in circulation right now will not exist, according to the government. Meanwhile, we don't have the grid. But this is this is the problem that I have with this with this money being spent. Number one, we are financing multinational corporations that are not Canadian-based. Number two, we're using taxpayer dollars to give a competitive advantage to one of the brands or two of the brands that are selling vehicles in Canada. What about the rest? The, the number three is that the government will never see this money back. This is a lose-lose situation because not only we are spending taxpayer dollars on a 20-year commitment that you know just to break even, but also the demand for Electric batteries in Canada is not there. Do you see it in any other way, Matthew? No, I, I think you're absolutely correct. I mean, I, I don't deny that, you know, the electric vehicles are good for some customers and some people like them a lot. For sure. Um, and if they do, they should. And if they do, they should spend their own money on them. I mean, this, this government idea of uh, basically trying to reorganize a huge, huge industry in this country and basically trampling on what consumers' preferences are, right? I mean, this goal of of eliminating the um, the conventional powered cars by 2035 is is absolute madness. Um, You would have to see a a shift in consumer consumer preferences or or consumer adoption um, that is uh, at a scale and a velocity of of any uh, far greater than anything we've ever seen before. And of course, because the consumers don't want to do that at any uh, near that amount of speed, the politicians are, are basically trying to um, browbeat millions of people into buying cars that they don't really want, whether through taxes, subsidies, mandates, and, and this uh, forthcoming bag. I, you know, maybe what I'm going to say is going to be out of turn, but. I don't see the logic behind the government pushing for an electric vehicle agenda. Do I think that an electric motor is far more efficient than a ICE motor? Yes. Do I think that uh, there is a place for electric vehicles in today's environmental issues or so-called issues? Yes. Do I think that the vast majority of customers want to buy this this sort of vehicles and they prefer this type of transportation? Absolutely not. Do I think that the government wants you to buy electric vehicles so they have a greater control of what you drive in, 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 in energy? And now, look, this is all about control. Right now, you have independence. You buy, you put gas in your car, you're gone. You're free to go. Now, the moment that you switch your energy source to electricity, now the government owns your 
transportation energy source. And that scares me to no end. Am I out to lunch with this, Matthew? Yeah, well, the, yeah I mean, there, there's really um, two supposed justifications for these electric vehicles, right? Now, the first one is the government says, you know, we need to encourage them in order to reduce global warming. Now, that argument is rather weak. Um, if you look at the evidence, um, you know, there, there's no really good uh, estimates of how much uh, carbon emissions that um, electric vehicle use is going to achieve, especially when you consider uh, the, um, the very significant uh, energy that is required to produce these electric vehicles, right? Um, and I, I think the second one is just this government is it's a very arrogant government and it thinks it knows what is best for consumers and it thinks it should tell you what to buy, what to drive and how to run your own life, right? Well, I mean, and, and that's one of the problems that I have with the Canadian government. And look, uh, we we are given the perception of a free market, but the reality is that we we don't have it. Uh, the Canadian marketplace is surrounded by monopolies. I mean, if you look at communications, we have only few giant communication companies that control all the airwaves. And, and that is that. And most of them is subsidized by the government to begin with. But in relation to cars, I, I think that the government, you know, sticking its nose in what consumer behavior should be determined simply by the demand of each individual family uh, is, is a grave mistake. I'll give you an example. No one had to legislate Blockbuster out of business. You know, the, the public decided that there was a better way of getting their media, uh, and, and that naturally took place. In the case of the internal combustion engine, I don't think that the government needs to legislate it out. I think that the the consumer ultimately will determine what is best for them. And look, let me tell you, if, if, if somebody gives me uh, an electric vehicle that will give me seven or 800 kilometers a tank, that will take me probably two and a half to three minutes to charge, I'll take it. But unfortunately, that's not the case. And right now, the government is investing my money, your money, everybody's money into their own individual agenda and that I do not support. What do you see the outcome of this? Do you ever see this ha actually happening? Is the plant being built? Well, I mean, I, I, I completely agree with your point that uh, nobody has to legislate uh, one with the blockbuster out of business, right? I mean, um, nobody has to legislate the horse carriages out of business either. That's right. right. They just got replaced by the cars. And the automotive industry is, is uh, leave it to itself. It's, it's a very innovative industry. And, and the more competition you have, the more innovation you have. One of the problems with these government subsidies is that they are trying to determine um, the direction of the innovation and who is going to be doing the innovation and which companies are going to be doing the innovation. If you just leave it to the free market, you're going to have plenty of innovation and plenty of improvements in electric vehicles and all types of vehicles, right? I mean, I've never heard of of the government, uh, um, you know, trying to innovate or, or produce better results for consumers. That's always the free market and, and private businesses in a competitive environment. 
that have to compete for, for customers. That's how you get innovation and improvement. You know, you, you hit the nail right on the head, but, you know, we're going to take a very, very short break uh, right now, Matthew, and I want to, you know, just, you know, keep on that on that vein that you just touched there. The customer always decides. They vote with their dollars. So please don't go anywhere, folks. The show is brought to you by Oakville Nissan and Oakville Infinity. And, yes, we do have electric cars to sell you. <laughs> That's the funny part. We'll be right back after the break. When I cross the street, it's the cars that have to look both ways. <laughs> I'm Chuck Norris, and you're listening to The Greg Carrasco Show. Hi, I'm Hazel Grace, and I'm here to let you know that if you want to be my friend, you got to be choked first. <laughs> Otherwise, there's no friendship between us. And you are watching The Greg Carrasco Show. Don't miss it, and don't blink it. back folks just winding down the show three amazing hours and we have a couple of minutes left with our special guest here matthew lau he's a financial post columnist uh matthew what is the the ultimate agenda here that you feel the government is pushing forward um you know both at the provincial and the federal level uh, by spending this amount of money to try to push consumer behavior because that's the only way that i can explain it what are your thoughts well, I think um, the the goal of every government, it seems to me, is to try to get reelected in the next election, right? So, with and, and there may be different ways they try to get this done. Now, I think um, part of the reason is if you give a lot of money to these areas, or sort of these the industries in these areas, right? Um, a lot of those people are going to vote for you, right? So. Uh, it, it seemed to me that uh, a lot of the motivation from this, certainly from the provincial government, is um, they want a lot of votes in this area, so they're going to put a lot of uh, provincial money, a lot of public money into this area. Now, the, the second half of this, I think, is that, and this is maybe more um, more of the motivation on the federal government side, is it's just very uh, fashionable for governments on the left to spend huge amounts of money um, on anything that will be seen to be uh, uh, environmentally friendly or reducing global warming. And they have put so much investment into um, building their this government's image as one that's, uh, you know, climate friendly and environmentally friendly. Um, and they're going to keep, uh, keep pushing public money into that direction, no matter what the cost is, in order to keep up that image and to try to, uh, to win public support from people who feel the same way. Do you think that ultimately this is going to cost them the election because of mismanagement of public funds? Yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't think uh, you know one certain uh, subsidy or another or one policy or another is going to do it. But when you put it all together, I mean, this uh, we have an affordability crisis in this in this country, and the government just doesn't seem to care. Right? You see it 
um, you know, whether they're wasting uh, billions of dollars on, um, on these electric vehicles. Or, you know, there's, there's another place, uh, there was a study actually that just came out um, from the Fraser Institute about um, climate and uh, uh, building regulations. Mm-hmm. Um, they're trying, there's the federal um, net zero emissions plan, right? They want to make buildings more energy efficient. Um, and uh, Ross McKittrick, who's a University of Law professor, did this study. And he, his, his estimate is that uh, by 2030, the cost of constructing a new home in Canada as a result of these uh, building energy efficiency uh, regulations is going to go up by $55,000. Now, ask anybody in this country uh, with the house prices where they are today and, and the, you know, how uh, the, the declining level of affordability and, and the high inflation you've had in the past few years, do you want to pay $55,000 more for a new house? Um, I think that's certainly a, a cost that is not worth whatever environmental benefit you're going to get, right? So I think this is really just a, a government that that uh, is, is sort of blind to the struggles of everyday Canadians. And if you look at the polls, that's probably why they're in the dumps. Yeah, you know, I I try to find a place in which regulation... Uh, you know, fits within the scope of an open market. I, I don't know if you've ever read Milton Friedman. Um, I can only presume that you have. Um, are you familiar yeah. with him? Yeah. Yeah. The the, the whole notion. Well, Go ahead. Yeah. Well, well, Milton Friedman's point is, you know, if there's business that you and I are trying to transact, we're only both going to enter into that business if it's good for both of us. And there's no real place for the government to step in and, and try to stop on it, right? Mm-hmm. The, the only real um, case for government is if you and I are trying to transact something and it's going to hurt some third party who you know, did not want to voluntarily enter into this agreement. Mm-hmm. And in that case, you can make some kind of justification for a tax or a subsidy or a regulation that tries to um, limit that impact on the third person, right? Now, in in terms of climate change or environmental issues, uh, you can try to make that case. The problem is, if you tr- if you look at all of the things that this government is doing, is just wildly out of proportion, right? The the subsidies and the taxes um, and the regulations um, that try to improve the environment have nowhere near the amount of environmental benefit. Versus the economic cost. It's just another. That's the problem. It's another cash grab by the liberal government or our best friends. That is Matthew Lau, everybody from the Financial Post. Thank you so much for joining the Carrasco Show and taking time out of your day. Uh, like I said to all my guests, well, actually, not all my guests, the ones that I actually like. You have an open invitation to come back and discuss anything that you have written about, and that we would love to have you back on the show, Matthew. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Matthew. Well, that was three hours, Jody. I know. You know, I don't think your microphone is on. I, I think maybe no, it's maybe on now. It, it is on now. Yeah. The uh, three hours. I, I. Many people don't understand the tremendous amount of uh, brain power that it takes to <laughs> to uh, say something intelligent for three hours straight. You know, some of us have a tougher time than <laughs> others, but. Uh, <laughs> What is it? What are your plans for the weekend? Um, I don't know. I have to go home, go pick up my child from my parents' house, and then do some housework. 
Well, that's uh, that sounds like so, so much, much fun. fun. <laughs> I know, right? It sounds so boring. <laughs> so much. But you know what? The summer was so busy. I'm so happy to have like a boring weekend. No, I wish I had a permanent summer. This summer was fantastic. It was the best summer of my life, honestly. I hope that uh, I hope I can. Ec- echo what I did this summer yeah. next summer but I know from here I'm going straight to uh, uh, my jiu-jitsu academy my mm-hmm. uh, my partner and I have a um, a grading ceremony so we're going to have hundreds and hundreds of people and little guys there Aww. and little girls getting their stripes and belts and uh, it's going to be a busy busy next three hours but uh, a big shout out to the entire Octa BJJ organization they're doing an amazing job changing lives one student at the time and uh, it all comes down to the people at the top and it's not me it's my partner Luis he's just an incredible human uh, I think that everybody should have some sort of self-defense in their skill set mm-hmm. life skill set but uh, for those of you that are in the market and that are not uh, succumbing to the pressures of the government and you want to get uh, real cars the good old-fashioned ones you know the ones with engines and gasoline but you're, but you're also selling electric <laughs> yeah they're there if you want to <laughs> but 98% of all the cars that we sell are not uh, there's only one place for you to buy a car where is that Lex at Oakville at Nissan and Infinity you know, Oakville Infinity there, you know you need. we need to practice that yeah, a few times one eh? more time one more time <laughs> Oakville Nissan and Oakville Infinity you know why because there's something happening here at Oakville Nissan dot com It's been an honor serving with you all. Autobots, roll out!